in the first take and we had to start recording again. And what, and the funniest thing is, you could have just not said anything for another 10 seconds. I know. And then, oh, <laughs> and then you kept talking. Well, behind the scenes for people listening, we always leave 10 seconds at the top for oh, the sound sample. God. Or, or what's, known, what's known in the biz as, as Wild Track. And, um, and uh-huh. that way helps with the sound cancellation, noise cancellation and balance of the episode's audio track. But... I coughed at the beginning, and instead of, <laughs> instead of instead of just like then going quiet for ten, the ten seconds we normally use, and Matt just editing that cough out when he renders the episode, it just became a whole thing. I was just like, no, you can't use that. Now. You can't use it. I'll start again. Why are you still recording? Can't use it because you're still talking. <laughs> Fucking hell! Self sabotage. Oh God! Oh, oh. God! <laughs> Hello everyone. Hello. <laughs> My name is Elder Johnson. It's just two of us <laughs> this week. My name is Elder Watson and I would like to share with you the most amazing book. Um, but we can't hand you things. Unfortunately. Yeah, because this is audio. So I can't get a publisher. Um, and Audible aren't sponsoring us yet. Could people spread the word about this show so we could get a few more listens so we can at least go, Hey Audible, we've got three listeners. I will do an Audible advert. Oh? <clears throat> I will do an Audible advert, especially if they gave me free Audible. Don't say that. They're meant to sponsor the show. <laughs> the Audible's original stuff is... No, that's true. That's true. But you can't, like, pay for food with Audible originals. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Unless they just gave you a bunch of codes and you started haggling in shops. Like, you go into Sainsbury's and you're I'll like... I'll give you... <laughs> Uh, that'll be uh, forty pounds and uh, fifty-seven pence, please. And you're I'll, like, ah, well. I go to food fair, <laughs> and I say, I'll give you a free month of Audible. You give me a twelve-inch pepperoni and some donut meat. To which they go, but like, surely you could exchange that for forty pounds worth of food shop. No, no. <laughs> I really want. I want this. It's twelve-inch. Me feast with extra pepperoni. I'm going to make it last a week. <laughs> and then I'm not going to wait after week the next week after that because I'm going to have crippling fucking diarrhea from food poisoning, from eating weak old donami. Question. What? When you guys went to food fair last week, did you end up with crippling diarrhea? We didn't go to food fair, actually. We went to Pizza Pie Factory. Wait, where the hell is it's that? Near, it's next to the Balti House. Oh, over, it's fairly over new. To- okay. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah. It's very Chicago style. Like when they say pizza pie, it's very Chicago pie style because it's very Deep. doughy and fluffy. And um, yeah, it's good. And Charlie got recognised by the drunkest guy in in the universe. <laughs> hey, you're that. It was just some guy. You're <laughs> that guest star on Big Dumb Cast. It was coming. It was coming. <laughs> That's not an inaccurate description. He has been in EastEnders. Yeah, well, not East, no, not EastEnders. Coronation <laughs> Street. But he has been in but EastEnders. But also that dude did the same thing. He was like, uh, you're that guy on Coronation Street in EastEnders. Which one is it? Uh, I don't know. Um, Lucy's like that. Whenever whenever any soap gets mentioned, especially if like uh, mentioning Charlie, like when we went to see, went to see Babylon last year, um, and she was, she was, uh, she and Charlie were chatting and he was telling the stories of like working on Corrie. And after she was like, 
God, it's, it's nuts, like, the way they do the scheduling at EastEnders. And I went, Coronation Street. She went, oh, they're all the fucking same. <laughs> I was like, She's not wrong. This is somebody who's never watched a soap opera, but has a good idea of how soap operas She's are. not wrong. Um, um, <clears throat> except yeah. Coronation Street, of course, which is fine, fine television. And if it needs two northern gentlemen to play the role of plumber and plumber's assistant, then... We could recommend people. I know a guy. Yeah, but if they're not available, uh, we'll fill in. I only take big roles, thank you very much. And I'll get paid in Audible subscriptions. Hey. Um, do you know? If I give you this free month of Audible, <laughs> can I have a car? <laughs> One car for a month of Audible. That's how this works. I'm the new Doctor Who, but I, I can't tell anyone that yet. Uh, can I have a free car? Can I have a free as car? As long as I write, I'm the new Doctor Who on I'm the side of that the car. the new Doctor Who. <laughs> Fucking hell. That man is not only real, I know several people who've worked with him. It... <laughs> Ian, Ian sent us a bunch of Doctor Who poops on the, on the Discord I last night. I saw them. If you're not already on the, the Discord, patreon.com slash bigdamncast. For as little as a dollar a month, you can be on the Big Damn Discord we're currently just sharing Doctor Who poop memes. Fucking pissed, mate. Oh, my I'm God. Pissed. Did, Absolutely pissed. It's the Tesla one amongst them, the teaser, where it's just the ninth Doctor running away going, get in the charge! <laughs> no! <laughs> there's the scorpions, like, tumbling to the side. Uh, there's some really... Doctor Who poop are on fire at the minute. I really hope episode <laughs> four is, is great, because Nikola <clears throat> Tesla's Night of Terror... Is a great is title. fucking incredible. And it better be... It better be, like, Unquiet Dead levels of this is great, but also has its tongue firmly in its cheek. Oh, yeah, Like, yeah. what's this one? Charles Dickens and Ghosts at Christmas? Perfect. Thank you. What's uh, this one? Nikola yeah. Tesla uh, d- punching Thomas Edison, who turned out to be an alien or something. That'd I don't be know. great. That would be great, actually. <clears throat> we we on the stream last night, we went on a Nikola Tesla history <laughs> lesson. <laughs> what are you playing? And it was great. I was playing The Outer Worlds. Oh, God. That um, fun, huh? <laughs> it is a lot of fun. I think you said you described it as like Red Dead meets Firefly, but not quite. Gr- uh, it's Firefly and it's Firefly and Skyrim. Ah, um, <clears throat> Firefly Rim. Yeah, terrible. It, I like it. I like it a lot. Firefly and Fallout. Well, if you wonder what uh, the hell we're talking about this week, yeah. uh, there's a bunch of trailers uh, that we're going to look at. Uh, we're also going to delve into the Oscar nominations. Controversy feels like the wrong word now because it's just the the usual. It's not. Shite. It's not. Yeah, it's not controversial. It's just exhausting yeah it's one of them it's one of them it's one of them we're also uh, gonna be delving into Doctor Who because you guys have emailed about it and catching up on emails in general we'll we'll start off the show with that I think yeah but first just a quick note uh, another Doctor has been another Doctor well and truly uh, under service this week as um, Scott Derrickson horror director director of Doctor Strange announced that due to creative differences, he's parting ways with Marvel Studios and will no longer be directing Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Um, He he will remain as executive producer. The fact that he put a statement out and that Disney Studios haven't issued a statement suggests to me that he wanted to get out there. Look, everything's fine. I'm just... I'm not doing it anymore. Which to me means everything is not fine. <clears throat> because the big appeal of that movie was Multiverse of Madness, Doctor Strange going into different dimensions and worlds, terrifying creatures and ideas and concepts with Scarlet Witch as the co-star of the movie, directed by a horror director. Are you kidding me? Sounds like the best thing ever. Well, the horror director's no longer directing it. I will say this. Remember when I go right and Joe Cornish got pulled off Ant-Man? <clears throat> Peyton Reed and Paul Rudd came in. 
Played, played with the script and then delivered a decent film. Yeah. Yeah, well... So there is that. It's doable. I absolutely agree. And it's likely that whoever Scott Derrickson conceived the movie with will have story credit and a lot of their ideas will remain. Well, it'll be it'll be C. Robert Cargill. <laughs> oh, the, the story credit, yeah. Yeah, because they, they work together on pretty much everything. But it's more the fact that his touch will not be there in the execution of yeah. the film that's got I think they're, they're probably going to use most of the same script. <clears throat> True. I think he even said that. I think he even said they're probably using a lot of the script. But it's his visuals, but, man. I mean, Doctor uh, Strange yeah, sticks out yeah. for the way it looks. Sinister is, is still seen as I mean, like a, a, a sort of a, a, a modern horror... Um, like example of like a proper like this is this is crazy. I mean, Scott Derrickson did make the best of the Straight to Video Hellraiser sequels. Yes, th- yeah. th- it's almost approaching a good film. <clears throat> I would argue it's better than Hellraiser three and four, which were cinema releases. We have such shite to show it's, you. I mean, <laughs> it's definitely like oh, this is a dude's first film, and it's a Straight to Video horror sequel, but it's pretty decent actually. Guy's got an eye. Which is, Inferno, guy, right. Guy's got an eye of Agamotto, which is why I'm, yeah. which is why I'm upset about this news. But um, the thing is, not to turn into um, three book theater or anything, but uh, at the same week, within two days, the series creator for uh, Lizzie McGuire has left the new Disney Plus series. Yeah, two episodes into production, citing creative differences. And what's really weird about this is she went on to make a different show after Lizzie McGuire before this reboot of Lizzie McGuire mm. that also, I can't remember the name of it now, but it also got a big fan base and got cancelled two seasons in by the Disney Channel. And there seems to be a bit of a pattern going on here. It looks like directors that are not uh, working out for possibly someone higher up at Disney Studios. Yeah. Like if, if they are not seeing eye to eye, the higher up is going, mm, well, it's this or nothing. And the the creatives are having to go, well, then I'm walking. Which is weird because at some <clears> levels <throat> of Disney management, you think people are learning a lesson. Well. And going, <laughs> oh, if we actually have a bit of flex, then we're going to get better stuff out of it. And if we keep doing better stuff, people will keep coming back for it. Yeah, well, that's true, but <clears throat> that doesn't necessarily lead to the best decisions. Kevin Feige being moved to work with the Star Wars team on potential future projects, yeah. spreading him even thinner than before. It's probably how certain studios can slip shit under the radar and show it off in their trailer. <laughs> we'll get to that we'll in a little while. Um, <laughs> right, let's 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 dive into <clears throat> let's the sad news aside. Let's get into some emails. Yeah, and let's talk about... let's cheer ourselves up with something completely non-controversial. Yeah. or or I imagine remotely uh, stressful to deal with. We've got two from Tom Monte. Tom Monte. Monte. One for Spyfall, which we didn't get to last week. And yep. one... uh, spoilers coming up for three episodes of Doctor yeah. Who Series 12. Spyfall, part one and two, and of course, Orphan 55. <clears throat> That's how they should have pronounced it in the show. Like Skeletor. <laughs> Orphan 55! <laughs> <laughs> you boob but but only done it at the top of scenes like Jim Sterling's <laughs> ra- ra- end of year wrap ups did you see his Cats episode yes that opening visual is terrifying <laughs> still not as terrifying as Cats but you pretty cats? damn terrifying nope oh, I feel mate. like I've seen it because I've mate. stared into the eyes of many a reviewer mate <laughs> you've got to see Cats I'll get around to it this coming weekend apart from some stuff on the Sunday I've got a pretty free weekend so I'm going to I'm, I'm going to try well, maybe, and get to the cinema. Maybe we should wait until it comes out on like streaming and do a and do a video about it. Oh, I, I want to prepare myself along. for the horror first. It's... Either way, while while it's free, 
Plus, you don't know which version you're going to get. You're going to get the patched version or the unpatched version. <clears throat> Who knows? Or it's, dares to dream. It's Cat's Roulette. Uh, see, Robert Cargill and Scott Derrickson have been joking on social media that their next project is Cat's Tush. <laughs> I mean, to the point if, they, where... if they are off Doctor Strange, but they want to make a sequel to Cat's... <laughs> to the point where see Robert Cargill posted the first couple of pages of the script. Right. Frickin... Which is not the first time he's done that, to be fair. He does that all the fucking time. <clears throat> I'm suddenly happy about the Doctor Strange thing. Um, if it means this happens. Look, Universal, you made a boob. But... But oh, it's just a, a suggestion. It's so shit. <laughs> it's so shit. But it's just fascinating. I mean, we talked a little bit about this last week, but it's fascinatingly shit. <laughs> like you're watching it and you're going, "What? How? How did they make this? What? What is this? Who thought this was good? Why did someone? At no point during its production did anyone go, "Guys, we need to stop." Tom and Hooper that says just so like... much about the people who made it. Yeah. Or they were too afraid to say, this can't go out to someone else. Oh, God. Tom Hooper says there in his director's chair, looking like a fucking deflated James Cameron, going, listen, I don't listen to fucking notes. You know who listens to notes? My fucking best director, Oscar! He (laughs) listens to notes! I made the fucking king speech! I managed to make a bland biopic into an Oscar winner so I can do cats! That's now, how Tom Hooper sounds. Now, to be fair, the King's Speech featured three very good central performances. They were shot like dick, though. It wasn't. <laughs> they were shot like the some problem, fucking rando. The, the, the King's Speech was probably... A tripod was like, so they're going to have a conversation. I'm going to put the camera seven metres away from the rest of the room. In a year where we and got... And mostly fill the screen with the ceiling. In a year where we got Inception and The Social Network mm. and the, the True Grit remake. Yeah. How fuck did the King's Speech... Whatever. We'll Whatever. get to that later. <laughs> Whatever. Tom Monty says, Happy New Decade, Chris and Matt. And Tom. Monty. Doctor Who was quite good. Quite good. This is Skyfall quite good. 1 and 2. This is Spyfall. Spyfall um, 1 and 2. Uh, Spyfall 1. Uh, it's the 5th of January. First, 5th of January, so it's Spyfall 2. 3rd. Yeah, so it's both of them. Okay. Uh, and, I, and I got the impression Chibnall's has listened to some of the criticisms of Series 11 and IMO it was better than anything we got in that series. But, like with Series 11, I thought the dialogue was still very choppy and filled with unnecessary exposition. I agree on that. I think the dialogue still requires, has lots of room for improvement. Um, outside of character moments. And I have no positive things to say about the Companions. I still feel like they have zero chemistry. It's definitely my least favourite TARDIS team of the Revive series, Ryan in particular. And I can't stand the fact that they're still being referred to as fam. As much as I'm happy with the return of the Master, I feel like it's still too soon after Series 10 to introduce a new one, especially because the Doctor Falls featured two of them and because we got so much of Missy in Series 10. I didn't expect to be seeing 13 meet the Master. Like with Missy's return, we got very little backstory as to how the Master has returned after certain death. Nothing certain in Doctor Who. Uh, That's quite like there part is of the no... course for the Master, yeah, though, to be is, fair. Yeah. That's it's like there, the is, there is it's no continuity. Only really in Pertwee's era do we sort of know where he's gone along his whole journey and he or he fills in a gap if there is one but then yeah. Ainley just like Ainley gets left for dead a million times oh yeah and then yeah, reappears yeah. later and it's like how did you come it's like it doesn't fucking not matter. even regenerated <laughs> yeah. like just the same I'm still wearing this track and meat puppet yeah <laughs> It's like there is no continuity with this character. 
get used to that. That's the and, and it's getting ridiculous now. So much for so much for don't bother trying to regenerate. You got the full blast. Well, uh, to leap in there, we don't know where this master is. I think we know it's post Missy. It's definitely well. He's definitely post Missy Sim Sim and Gomez because of the Gallifrey connection and reveal. The Gal, <laughs> but we don't. Someday Gal- we'll find it. The Gallifrey connection. <laughs> Omega. Russell on and, and me. me. <laughs> ah, Merlin. Um, oh, or whatever he was called uh, in the Virginia. Hey, we can start our truck. Uh, no, our truck band let that, now. Let that genre die, please. Um, but I'm coming for you, chameleon circuit. <laughs> they, it's fine. They imploded <laughs> <laughs> because half of them were abusers. Anyway, the point Yay. is that um, the no, they were, they were nice guys. <clears throat> really, but girls don't like nice guys. Oh god! Unless they make movies that have eleven Oscar nominations for no fucking reason. We'll get to him. Uh. We'll get to him. Ah. Um, so uh, yeah, we know that he's after the masters we've met. But we don't know how far after. We don't know how Missy survived. If like presumably Missy survived in some way, maybe Missy went back to Gallifrey and found a way to get a new regeneration cycle before dying, and then bombed it to shit. Yeah, yeah. Well, th- maybe that. I mean, honestly, like that's yeah. incredibly plausible. Um, the ma- I'm, keep in mind we've only ever seen the Master in an actual Time Lord body, maybe twice. Delgado, and then. Jacoby Sim, because after that it's some kind of resurrected, half alive version of himself. I would say Missy's probably Time Lord. Mi- Missy's Time Lord too, but yeah, he's been back to Gallifrey since then, and and Missy comes from after that time. Yeah. So, <clears throat> yeah, Lord knows, Lord knows. I I think it's likely that Dewan's incarnation is post Missy. Yes. After Missy goes back to Gallifrey to be like right. Fucking gonna steal a whole new regeneration cycle here. Right, I'm alive. Wait, I've discovered some shit. What's going on? Oh my god! So Thoughts on the new master? I quite like him, but I think he's a bit too shouty. How about you? What do you think? I like him a lot. I like him too. I um, like I like he is barely suppressed sort of rage. Yeah, I, I, get on top of him. I quite like the shouty the shouty shouty for him just because this feels like this this feels like if the Delga the cunning and scheming of the Delgado and Ainley Masters was there, but in the body of somebody who can't quite contain how pissed off he is. Yeah, he can't separate, he can't contain his own rage. Like, like, Ainley, Ainley lost like. his cool a lot. Delgado always maintained a veneer of cool um, until he got to those moments where he's like, oh shit, Doctor, please help me! Now they're gonna screw me over! Like, this master is like, I'm beyond trying to be he's nice. He's got no chill. <clears throat> but he we get to see that. He does have a tissue compression eliminator, he which I'm does. all for. He does. He does. Um, we were which, talking on the stream last night about how great it would be if character options did a TCE toy and just kids in the playground just getting each other to kneel. Oh dear. <laughs> and it comes with a little matchbox with a, with a tiny box. person in it. The, the, <laughs> he had a matchdog man and matchbox cats and dogs. If the master shrunk cats and dogs, he truly is the greatest villain of them all. <laughs> I also don't mind the fact that Missy's semi-redemption is erased with the new master because it's a new incarnation. The next incarnation along might be like, what the hell was I doing? That's ridiculous. No, that's it. I'm going to kill the doctor again. Because he tries to kill her in part one. Like, he has every intention of leaving her to die on that plane in part one. So, you know. Um, Do you think it's too soon after series 10 to be seeing the master? Any thoughts as to how he survived? 
Yes and no, because the last time we saw the character was in 2017. Yeah, it was three years ago. Uh, it has been three actual years since we last saw them. And, you know, it, it's... It, it's <clears throat> If we're going to have returning villains show up this series, or returning characters show up this series to face off against this Doctor, um, her first series where she's meeting recurring villains, after, of course, a Dalek in Resolution... Yeah. You wanna, you wanna bring one that's going to be interesting I mean, to play off of. And for me, the Sidemen and the Daleks have been patchy for quite a few years. Yeah. But with the Master, if you get the right actor, you've got some really good chemistry and really good scenes. I'll to take, play off of. I'll take a Master over a Dalek or a Cyberman as a recurring villain anytime because <clears throat> you can do more with him. <clears throat> yeah, he's got you. You can put him behind whatever harebrained scheme you want, and it can work. You don't. Ha- he doesn't have a particular mo. Plus the outfit, like it, what we assume is his costume that he wears in the final scene mm. of part two. It's very Trouton. Yeah, it sort of Trouton meets the Joker. Yeah, I like it. It's it's a really nice costume, um, and Dewan's just great. He's, yeah, he's, he's great. He's fabulous. So many different um, levels. Uh, what do you think of? It's this turn from O to the Master is shocking. It's all in the eyes. Yeah. In, that, in that moment, and then you're like, oh shoot. Um, what do you think of Graham's latest <laughs> shoes? I thought it was pretty ridiculous when he started stamping in the direction of Yaz and Ryan. I don't mind. It was ridiculous. We've had weirder stuff. It was ridiculous, and that's why I loved it because Doctor Who is a ridiculous show. Yeah, yeah. It's we've we've had weirder things in Doctor Who, much weirder things and much sillier things, um, in in the show's history. I honestly don't mind. I, lo- I think the laser shoes are a stupid concept, but if you're going to have it, give it to Graham and get some laughs out of it. Mm. And Bradley Walsh just continues to be the MVP of this show for me in terms of our regular four. Like, they're all doing an, o- an all right job with what they're given. Sometimes Jodie, for example, gets to really shine. But just something about Bradley Walsh. Like, I feel like I know Graham. And he's had as much screen time and development because, as the rest of it. It's them. because he's doing less. Than any of the others. <clears throat> yeah. He's yeah. doing less. He's just being. He's just being. Yeah. Which is the thing that experienced actors do. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing. He's, he's got the he's got the years over yeah. everybody. Like he. he yeah. Because because Mandip and, and Tozin do well with what they've what they're given, but they are being underserviced. Absolutely. Yeah. I feel like um, Mandip girl's got more had more to do <clears throat> this season so far though. So far. Um, more to sink her teeth into, certainly. The wonderful Miss Dimmy Looming on Twitter has been talking about how she has a theory that um, that Yaz is going to join the Master because they're really putting Yaz through her paces in these first two stories and leaving her in position. So she's like, what the hell are you doing to us? Why are you not telling us things? I've just had to watch a woman get ripped to pieces. Like, what is... Ha-? It's kind of setting up the idea that someone's going to leave the TARDIS. That's not bad. It'd be great, wouldn't it? It'd be That's really, really cool. I'd see a fallen companion. Well, then you also get the first kind of on-screen version. You know, Lucy Saxon, debatable. But the first on-screen version of the Master Companion dynamic. Yeah. Like, Which has only really been explored <clears throat> in the novels. And Big Finish have done it as well. Yeah. Um, and they've also had like the Monk and Companion dynamics and things like that. Where the, yeah. monk, the monks kind of imitated the Doctor just for a laugh. Um, so why else would you do it? That's a character I'm surprised they haven't brought back at some point. But I suppose um, it'd be more Time Lords and it'd just complicate things. Yeah. Uh, there was one scene in which the Doctor was hiding <laughs> on the floorboards with Ada Lovelace and then the Master shoots the floor with guns and they both survive without a scratch. Did I miss something? Yeah, they were like further along yeah. the room. It was a different part of the floor. It, I'll be honest, the direction 
was sketchy for me in part two in yeah. a few places. Um, also, uh, I think the production team need to uh, have a definitive list of locations they've used before and where those locations featured so that the directors can go back. Because obviously you can't be expected to binge watch 11 seasons of a TV series as a revision for your one job that'll take you three weeks. Yeah. But, you know, it'd be handy if the directors could at least re-watch footage of those locations before. Because in Spyfall in particular, there were several shots where I was like, that's the museum from the Big Bang. It's the staircase where the 11th Doctor dies. And we have, you know, the one from the future appears and dies on the stairs. It's a pretty significant shot. So um, I didn't notice any of The corridors shit. from the museum feature heavily. The big archway next to what is Cardiff's council building in Boomtown, where Blonde keeps running away, disappearing and running back because he keeps shutting down the teleport, features really heavily in one shot. Where? When? In, um, what's it, when Ada and... Um, oh my gosh, what's she called? The Codebreaker? No. No, when they are looking for something strange and unusual, there's that beautiful archway at the end of this really long um, stretch between buildings. But it's... It's an identical framing of the shot from Boomtown. Think... No, true, true. Yeah, it's because I've seen that it's stuff too much. If you obsess over it, you can notice absolutely, absolutely. But it, it, if you do have like people who've followed it for ages, you, if the shots, are, I mean, we're talking near identical shots. That was my main problem. Not just oh, it's that place again. I don't mind that. The Millennium Center appears at least once a series. I didn't notice <laughs> in, any in of episode, that. Um, as it did again in this one. But they found a way to shoot it in this one where it didn't look like it did in. New Earth and, and countless others. Clearly, I'm the one who's missed something. Because I didn't, no, see, you're, I didn't you're get the, any no, you're, of that. You're the one who's got a life and actual priorities yeah. in terms of your brain. Whereas I'm like, that's from Boomtown! Um, um, yeah. Another thing that irked me was the fact that the Doctor was just able to travel to Gallifrey like that. Since when was she able to do that? Where's it? Is this on Tom's notes? Yeah. And that irked me was the fact that the Doctor was able to just travel to Gallifrey like that. Um, well, that's the thing. Moffat blurred the lines of what any of that meant himself. Yeah. He established a great status quo at Day of the, in Day of the Doctor, then announced that Gallifrey was in a pocket universe at the end of the next story, Time of the Doctor, and that's what the cracks in time actually were. It was Gallifrey yeah. breaking through. At the end of that story, Gallifrey is safely tucked away and the cracks are gone. But then it felt like... Then he goes to Gallifrey via the confession dial at the end of Series 10. In oh No, Series 9. Yeah. In... Uh, in heaven sent and then he goes back there and then he's there for hell bent yeah they bugger off presumably clara and me go back there at some point in their tardis so clara can be put back into the events of face the raven so this means that gallifrey is accessible by tardis and that's the last time the doctor's been there no because he goes there oh that's in hell bent isn't it clara goes there briefly and listen yeah as well yeah but in the past. Because the reason why you couldn't get to Gallifrey throughout the series up till Day of the Doctor is it had been time-locked. The idea being that the Time War was not accessible. No one could go back to it. That was why the end of time, the plot with the Time Lords was Razalon had found a way to like leak them through to Earth and, and basically escape their future fate. Um, and all that shit. And then Moffat establishes it in the pocket universe... But apparently now it's not. Apparent. No, because he I, says it's in a pocket. Well, universe. no. In in I saw someone mention this the other day. Hell Bent establishes that it's on the edge of time, so it's been moved to I the thought, end of time. Yeah. But then in this, Chibnall and, and and the Master's dialogue makes it very clear it's in a pocket universe. Yeah. So it's now visitable by Tardis. What? 
You know, huh? you know why she was able to do that. <clears throat> why? Because the story needed her to. Yeah, and it, I, I'm and willing. This, I, I'm willing I, to accept that it's just somewhere she can visit now. Yeah. If <clears throat> they do something interesting with it, I'm not because I was having these. I was uh, having this conversation with Keith when we were watching it together, and, just, and she's like, "Hang on, why is this?" Yeah. Because that, that's what the plot needs it to be. Yeah. Like it's. I mean that that is that's one of the one of the caveats of having story arcs yeah. in the modern run like prominent story arcs is people remember them so when you then go back to something and you've kind of ignored the continuity like the, it sticks out like a sore thumb like things like the master's regeneration I can accept because yeah. like that happens off camera but Gallifrey is very firmly this for a big portion of the modern run and then it's this and then it's not really explained, and now it's this. And it's like, yeah. that's weird. It's like, I'm willing to forgive a lot of, like, inconsistencies <laughs> in canon and, and continuity if the resulting stories are interesting. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Which, you know, it has been so far. The so. cliffhanger at the end of Heaven Sent was great. Like, oh my god, he's yeah. on Gallifrey. Yeah, yeah. And then he tells that child, like, the hybrid yeah. you're like, right, that's just shat on the last 45 minutes in yeah. terms of the character's motivation. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then Hellbent was a waste of time. That establishes that Gallifrey is just that citadel and that barn, and yeah. that's all we're ever gonna freaking see. But it's like going back to something like something that I had a lot of problem with inconsistencies <laughs> with in Rise of Skywalker. Mm. I had a lot of problem with the inconsistencies that that film has with the rest of Star Wars. But I would have been, I would have forgiven them if it was an interesting mm. story, but it wasn't. Yeah. yeah. Like so. Yeah. Like that. That stuff. You, you can get away with that stuff if you're making something good. Yeah. Like, continuity and... Continuity be damned if... Continuity if, is if, not quality. If it's like, in disservice of an excellent sto- yeah. story. Yeah. Um, you, make, you make it what you need it to be. To the idea the story of a story arc tell. of Gallifrey did something in its founding days that has traumatised even the Master to find out. Like, that's a great idea. Like, right, so the Doctor has to sort of face her home world now, actually look back at it and take responsibility because she seems to have been casually ignoring it since its return. Um, like, But now she has to face it because she's got to get to the bottom of what the hell would cause the Master to do that to their home world. So, yeah. you know. <clears throat> my, only, my only nitpick with that really is that as so much of the Doctor's story arc in the modern series was based on the fact that she believed she had genocided her people. And now the Master's just done that. Actually done that. And it's just sort of like, that's what I've done. It's like, wait, what, huh? Do you know what I mean? Like, the weight of it that she carried, it seems... It would seem like a missed opportunity if she didn't now pursue him to be like, do you realise what you've done? To see, to test the actual empathy of this character. Which I think, you... they'll, I think they will be doing, because he's going to be back. I hope, and I, I, I hope it's this series... Oh yeah, I hope, nice. the, I hope the climax of this series, like that's the arc bookends this series. This yeah. series. Yeah. yeah, that's interesting. Um, because the timeless child thing that they've set up, I don't mind the fact that last year we thought, oh, is that going to be a thing? And then it wasn't. And then this year it's mentioned again. That's kind of nice because it's, it's a throwaway line. Last year, turns out we were teasing a story we were going to get to eventually. Unlike sort of the Moffat era, where it's like, oh no, we've actually got to it. That's if they get to it. I hope they do. I hope this series yeah. has an arc. It's closed at the end of the series. Next series could be its own thing, etc., etc., etc. I hope this series has an arc of infinity. Um, ah! on, a, on a side note, did either of you watch Dracula? I did not. 
I did uh, not. I really enjoyed it until episode three happened. Yeah, minor I've spoilers that. for Dracula. I, I, it's because apparently episode two ends with him in his casket, like sinking to the bottom of the ocean, and episode three opens with his casket washing up on the shores of Britain in present day. See, I'm okay with that. And it becomes Jekyll again. Like it's a secret organization and experimentation mm. on vampires and all that shit. That I'm less okay with. But yeah, I'll, it, it, it's I'll, like, I'll it's like it like goes back to being the other show that was not great either. Yeah. I'll get around to watching it. <laughs> and shows I'm... that Stephen kind of has the same idea when it comes to adapting these things. The yeah. same idea as even Sherlock Series 4 has underground facility with special prisoner and experiments. I was, and... I was hoping that Gatiss would mitigate some of the worst of the Moffat in I think in, Mark's influence is mostly felt in the first two episodes. Because that's his, it's the Hammer yeah. influence take yeah. on gothic horror. Like... The, the man man who can write the past and horror yeah. very well. The stuff that I want to see from a Mark Gatiss story and then it gets all Moffatted. Ugh. Do you want to see Mark do a, write one of those kinds of shows on his own? Go seek out Crooked House. It's really good. It was a three-part uh, drama on BBC Four, and it's available on DVD, and I'm sure it's available digitally as well. It's like an hour and a bit total in length. It's so good and so creepy. It's really, really good. And if you spot Darren Brown in his very brief cameo, have a drink. <laughs> um, <laughs> so Tom Monty's next message, mostly dealing with Orphan 55. Um, dear Chris and Matt, Hi, Tom Monty again. After a promising yet flawed Doctor Who series opener, <laughs> that's, I found, that's pretty much old television now, isn't it? Like, I found episode, promising but flawed. Promising but flawed. <laughs> I found episode three to be a chore to watch with way too many characters. The current TARDIS team is extensive enough. Awful pacing and editing, questionable acting, Betty's wife yes, in particular, that was odd. and a plot that felt a bit too much like series four's Midnight. In places. Uh, here's just a few of the many problems that made me wonder if script editors still exist at the BBC. <laughs> Why the hell was a dreg conveniently standing still in the tunnel? It was asleep. And how did one breath conveniently <laughs> refill the doctor's oxygen tank? Because they, ex- to be they fair, respirate yeah, they, oxygen. They, no, but they established that. They established that the, the, the machines replicate yes. oxygen. Yes. Um, they just need a, they need a sample of it to do so. And that's why they had the truck. Because the idea was that if you go out there and your thing comes orange, go back to the truck and it'll instantly refill to green. So I, I, yes. I buy that. I buy that. That's fine. Why the hell was the Doctor able to convince the Dread to get into the cage? Because she reasoned with a sentient <clears throat> creature. That's true, but she also then left it in an explosion, which I thought was odd. I, I thought it was weird that the creature did it and then was like, wait, what? No, hang on. Like, where the moment she locked the door with it in, I was a bit like, that. just have it get in the cage and it's the separation thing. It's, that, it's it showing you that it's not going to harm you. But then she locked it in and it got blown up. And I'm like, that's a bit weird. So I do agree, that was odd. That was odd. I, lo- I love the moment before it, where like, yeah. she was just reasoning with it and trusting it to understand what she meant. But then she essentially lured it to its death. <laughs> Why the hell did half the characters decide to kill themselves? Because there was too many. Uh... <sighs> that my biggest problem <coughs> with the episode as a whole was it like Midnight, like Voyage of the Damned introduced us to a cast of characters. And doesn't do anything with them. Doesn't do anything with them, and none of them were interesting. In in a way uh, that, in a way that would make you give a crap. Yeah. About stuff happening to them. I guess the two most interesting were the engineer and his son, but they got the least to do. They're the least to do, and then the son's m- like minor disappearance yeah. felt 
contrived. It felt like they'd gone, oh, we've not had the son go missing yet. Let's it do that scene. It took me ages to realise that that, guy, that kid's the guy who played um, Roger in his dad materials. Ah, Which he's also great in. Good try, Doctor. It's also Um, weird that those two were the only ones who had unusual designs, like with the hair and stuff, out of the characters that were left. But we saw like a plethora of that at the beginning. In all the in all the minor characters that get slaughtered. Oh god, yeah. Well, I was I was, in, I was yeah. getting like Paradise Towers vibes from everyone. It did feel quite McCoy, didn't it? It was really good. It was like that is different. This is standing out. It's not just what they did a lot through Matt Smith's era, where it was just like we're on a different planet. Uh, give everyone robes. It was like <laughs> and, and repaint the Hoik's mask, but take the face off of it. Like what? Um, <laughs> seriously, for your sins. Rewatch oh, the Rings God. of Akaten and count how many times the same ten costumes appear. And yeah, that's, then, that's, then, that's what the that's what Akaten is. It's the, the Rings of Akaten costumes recycled over and over again. <laughs> but then also try and spot all the reused costumes from other monsters and other other things that are so obviously kind of like, look, we we didn't have long to put all this together, so we're just going to take that mask and spray paint it. Just that's like, I mean that's half the fun of a genre show on a budget. I mean, look at the episodes of Firefly where all the uh, the the Imperials are wearing fucking Starship Troopers armor. Yes, yes. You well, know it, and carrying yeah. pulse rifles. Um, um, how the hell did the lady from Breaking Bad <clears throat> die and then come back out of nowhere at the end? Well, you didn't see a body. That's a common fiction thing. She was in Breaking Bad. I'm having a moment. Yeah, she's Lydia in Breaking Bad. It took me a moment as well because she's American oh, in that. Oh, yes. She's her natural Scottish in this. Holy shit! Yeah. Yes. Oh, yeah. I didn't even realize. I know, right? Um. Yeah. Uh. She. She came back at the end because tropes. She came back at the end because the plot needed. To... <laughs> That's a shitty answer. I know, yes. but it's what it is. It's what it is. Um. You didn't see a body, so you can't be sure she died. I guess. Yeah. Yeah. Um. Yeah. I'm not saying I loved Elf Orphan Fifty Five. <laughs> But I, I think it's a I think it's an episode yeah. that would have benefited from the hour long runtime that Spyfall had because it did feel rushed. Mm. I, I we we spoke about this before we recorded. I felt like it was two separate, really interesting stories crammed into one. I don't think it is though. I don't know. I I would I would have liked weird creature feature romp in a luxurious spa as one episode. Uh, like the whole juxtaposition of this is the most peaceful, tranquil place you can be meets the gore of this horrific creature or creatures tearing people apart inside there. And a separate episode about, oh my god, this orphan planet, this company are going to do something to it. What's it going to be? Holy shit, this is Earth. What the hell? And and go into that idea and the idea of the, the core message that sort of appeared in the last third, which is why I think a lot of people found it jarring. On broadcast, I found it really jarring. Because I was just like, I get what you're saying, but and this is definitely an important topic that families should be talking about. Absolutely. But they get into why orphans are orphans pretty early on. Oh yeah, true. But then the whole Earth reveal thing of like, well, oh. that's that's the thing with the reveal, Chris. You have to have it later on in the story, that's so true, it's a reveal. It, I know, but <laughs> I, just, yeah, I, I agree. I just, for me, it was just I felt like I felt like that. It's such an important message. It deserved a story that didn't distract you with something else for the first two thirds. I don't think it is distracting you with something else. It's just not gotten to the reveal yet. True, true. Um, I still stand by my thing that the the execution of sort of the final dialogue is odd. The message is important, and as a lot of people point out, the Earth is literally facing these problems way more than it ever has done in the time of this show. So the time for subtlety is over. I'm like, I agree, but yeah, no, you could, I agree. But you that. could still write it better. 
Uh, yeah, but I, I, fe- don't... I felt like the speech was but pretty fucking shocking. By all the man, I think it was a good speech. Apart, well, apart from the you, you complaining about the washing up while the world's on fire. That's like that was a hell of a line. Great line. Um, but it just it it was. Yeah, I think it's a good speech. I, I think the I think the editing let it down, but I think it's a good speech. Ultimately, um, the, me- the message deserved a much stronger episode. It deserved a better episode so that people go, "Oh my god, that that episode, one of the standout ones of the, like, the like, recent years, absolutely incredible." The way they like brought that topic to the table is, is in- amazing. Like this is one that's going to last the ages. Instead, Orphan Fifty Five is one that mostly people are just going to kind of go, "Oh, we box set in it. Oh, I might skip that one." Maybe. And it's just, it's a bit of a shame because um, the message deserves a better. Why the hell did the doctor leave said lady and her daughter at the end? That was weird. That was weird. That was weird. It's like, no, it's too late for them. No, it isn't. You have a time machine. No, well, not even just that. Just like, just. Do you think this person, this just, person's just never snatch him under the thing with you? This person's never written Doctor Who before, have they? No, but like, they're part of a writer's room. They're part of a. Yeah, no, <clears> granted. <throat> granted. Yeah. Um, like, and, and <clears throat> if. Chris Chibnall's role is similar to uh, Moffat's and Russell Davies, Russell Davies' before him. He'll be across every script. He'll be making edits and tweaks to every single script, uncredited edits and tweaks. Unless it's series um, eight and nine where Moffat was like, nope, I'm not going uncredited anymore. And every episode he made significant tweaks to is such a body and Stephen Moffat. Um my suspicions as to why are very telling, but the point uh, is, uh, yeah, I, to do yeah. with awards in previous years. Uh, and that ending scene would be realised <coughs> that this is no longer a family show. It's a children's show that spells out the message of the episode instead of letting the viewer reach their own conclusions. The heaps of exposition in every script since Chibnall took over was bad enough, but this may have just blown it for me. And that cut to a drag at the end was really bad. But that was a weird shot choice. They were nice costumes, though. They were, and they should have been seen less. The more daylight yeah. time with them was less impressive. I did like them, though. Orphan 55 <laughs> is one of the worst episodes of Doctor Who I've ever watched, and I bloody hated it. Love Tom Monty. I love, love that sign-off. Um, love Tom Monty. Um, um, I disagree with the assertion that uh, it, it, saying that what it's doing means it's a children's show. It's already a children's show. Doctor Who is a children's show enjoyed by families. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but that's also suggesting that kid shows... Are patronising. Are patronising. They absolutely are not. There are exceptions. There are shows that are tone deaf and, and patronising yeah. to their audience. I think what I think what Tom's alluding to is more not children's show, but like the the archetypal Saturday morning cartoon, yeah. like the, the the sort of the early eighties in particular thing. Hey. Like, what was the moral this week, he man? Well, da, 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 you da, know what? Da. I'm okay with with this being patronising and banging you over the head with this message because. It's not like anyone is fucking listening. <clears throat> yeah, but, so, but that's the other thing too. It's like, I, I hope it sows the seed in a lot of younger viewers' minds of, of things they can do to make the world a better place. But I hope it doesn't... I hope it doesn't... I hope it doesn't assume it's going to change the world because it is ultimately a 50-minute episode of television watched No, I don't think anyone involved... A very small portion of it. the world, Chris. That's a little bit of a... Well, true, but the, the way... The, I think the way a lot of the internet was responding to it was it's like, no, you don't understand... This is so important. It's like, yes, it is. But maybe spread the message. Maybe learn from it. Don't spend the time and energy telling people off for being annoyed at it. Instead, be like, but were you listening to the message, though? Yeah. Ask that question. To yeah, people. yeah. Um, oh, hang on. That Sorry, that Transformer image you just scrolled past. That was the version I had, I think, yes. as a kid. Yes, that is. Um, that's that beautiful. Is, that is him. Um, um, and the other, the other uh, thing as well is, um, vis-a-vis uh, the whole massage of it all, 
Um, I do hope not every episode ends with that kind of scene because that would be a bit like, oh, like it's become a formula now that at the end the Doctor puts a pin on it and is like, here was the point. Because then it will feel like the show has struck a very strict formula in terms of how it delivers its allegories. Science fiction's always been about, sorry everybody, politics and science and current affairs. There's no such thing as apolitical <clears throat> television. Yeah, there's no such thing, especially science fiction. Because science fiction not, is impossible. a commentary on our world. Even fucking soap opera is political to a degree. Oh yeah, but, but sci-fi is built on politics. It's yeah. built on issues yeah, yeah. of... Of uh, so you know issues of of social issues, racial issues, like it's always been about that. Science fiction is allegory. It's how we look at our world through a fantastical lens to better understand real deals and real things in our world. And I think you can be for. I think you can afford to be a bit fucking beating people over the head with it now and then. Yeah, but but now and then, not every week. Yeah, it might be a bit jarring. Uh, but I completely agree with Tom Monty. The expositional dialogue in these episodes has been really kind of painful. Not a problem with it at all. Well, we'll have to agree to not agree. I don't. I don't know. I don't. I don't know what it is that you want. Like, do you want them to not talk? Oh no, I want the characters to talk. I just. I feel like a lot of the exposition in it has been reactive rather than informative. It always seems to be a thing happens and then a character spells out what we just saw. Which is annoying because then it feels like our characters are just echo chambers for the moment instead of reacting. Instead of reacting to the moment, they're explaining the moment in a show-don't-tell medium. That's That's been the expository dialogue I've not enjoyed. The whole, like, I'm, I'm not driving this! We can see she's not driving it. We can see her attempting to drive the car in Spyfall Part 1 and it not responding to her. Like, it's... Ryan had several lines in Spyfall, I think it was Part 1, where he was just... He just explained what just happened, and it's like, why? What? Why? We saw it. We're watching the. We're watching the episode, guys. What is this? Um, the only one that didn't feel weird from him was in Spyfall Part Two, when he basically gloated to the agents like what their plan was and what they'd just done to them. Because then Yaz was like, Ryan, what are you doing? Don't tell them the plan. Shut up. He's like, Oh, sorry, I got carried away. That was the only one where it was like, Oh, that's a character moment. I like that. But the others just kind of seem like they're reaffirming to the viewer. Hey, that thing you just saw, that is the thing you just saw. It's just, eh. it's just very lazy writing. It's its gaps where you could either use no dialogue or you could be putting more of those wonderful character moments in instead. P.S. I liked Ryan's um, brief flirty relationship scenes with the lady this week. I thought they actually were some of the better Ryan moments we've had in a while. Still not massively keen on toasting calls and performing though. <clears throat> yeah, it's. I think it's the it's the understated delivery, isn't it? He stands out out of the three out of the four it of them. Feel understated because the feels... rest of them the rest of them feel like they're delivering a show, and he feels like he's sort of workshopping a show. Yeah, it doesn't feel understated to me. It feels a bit laboured. Like he's struggling to get his mouth around the words. The thing is, he just seems like the canteen one in Resolution, and reminds me like, oh shit, no, that's this is why you're here. Like you are really good. But do you think it's because he's focusing on the accent too much? Really? I know that's a weird, like, observation, but it, it's not his natural brogue. So do you think know. he's focusing too much on the delivery? Maybe. Rather than the character. That's what it feels like a little bit. I also I also hope they keep up this sassy, um, annoyed 13th Doctor thing. Because 
Jodie's Jodie's Doctor has been very much to me written like a fan fiction Doctor, like very very vanilla, very safe, very oh alien observation, like sort of tenant light, and it's been up to Jodie to do a lot more of the lifting, and how she was toward the end of last episode, and how she was in this one when she was getting tired of people's shit, yeah, was really refreshing because it was like oh so this Doctor isn't always cheery, this Doctor's putting it on a bit. That'd be nice to see played around with. I hope that continues this series. Yeah, I see where you come from. Plus, <clears throat> she's very guarded now all of a sudden. It's like, right, what are you hiding? Adds to the mystery again. Maybe she'll start handing out um, calling cards with uh, little blotchy question marks on them again. Who knows? I mean, it did feel like Paradise Towers. It did feel like Paradise Towers. It does feel like McCoy. I think it feels a bit like McCoy as well because it fe- the show's clearly on live support at this point. Yeah. And I think that's part of why yeah. it's struggling and it's messy. I think it's been a bit of a struggle yeah. to get to get it done. For all the flaws of, of the last series and this series, like amongst the stuff we really enjoyed, like, but of all the flaws, I do think Chibnall's made the correct decision. He did an interview recently where people said, do you read up on the critiques and, and responses to the show? And he says, not a single one. He says, I don't go online. He says, I've left all social media. I don't look at it. I just focus on telling stories and it's like regardless of how you feel about the individual episodes or the era, good on him. Because it's fucking toxic. Oh, yeah. like, there are people who have legitimate <clears throat> criticisms and there are people who just hate on it because it's got a woman in it now. Yeah. Like it's it's weird. And if you just pander to the online... And there's people who are in between, you know what I mean? If you just pander to the mishmash of online criticism you end up with Rise of Skywalker. So... It's funny you should mention that because Ian writes in. Hey! He says, Dear bigger damacasters, yay for 2020. <laughs> I do hope Chris is having a good rest from Panto. His Insta videos, his Insta videos were so crazily funny, but poor Barney. Um, oh, poor, poor Barney. Uh, poor, 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 poor Barney. I, I, I found Rise of Skywalker <laughs> fine. Yay. I'm glad you enjoyed it, sort of, maybe. But I'm sure what most of us are here to talk about <laughs> is that long-running Tea Time telly show, which is loved and adorable by millions for 50-plus years, Coronation Street. Funnily enough, um, we did open with a story about Coronation yeah. Street. Um, <laughs> so, Doctor Who Series 12, Episode 1, Spyfall, Part 1. Overall, kind of be messy in places. Needed a script editor or to be slightly edited and have room to breathe again. Pretty, but if he's script. I don't care how many places in the world we visit. It don't matter when it doesn't add to the story. Not much James Bond, spy inspiration. Fast paced, but with filler scenes. Lots of get lines for 13 and Graham, but don't care for the others. Uh, oh, was such a random character play that there was something underneath, so definitely knew something was up. Really hard to judge on its own. Six of ten. Mm. Pardon me. Spyfall Part 2. I know it probably should have been called Fugitive in Time. Fan titling, fan titling two-parters again. It feels like I'm on Gallifrey Base in 2005. Um, oh, OMG. That's, that's not a bad title. Although, OMG. episode 5 or 6 of the series is called Fugitive of the Jadoon. So, can't have oh, two fugitives. OMG. Which is a great title. Because it, it, mean, it means the two Jadoon stories post Smith & Jones... Uh, the Sarah Jane Adventures story was Prisoner of the Jadoon, and this is Fugitive of the Jadoon. I like it. I'm a fan. OMG, my, my favourite of the series. The directing was great. Editing, and it was so streamlined. Sasha was excellent, and I think out of Simon Gomez, he might be my favourite. It felt like two totally different eras. So excellent! <clears throat> ten. It fe- yeah, it felt, it, felt yeah. Like, uh, it felt like the Pertwee era had taken Blue Smarties. It did a little bit. <laughs> it did! <laughs> Taken uh, blue smarties, as opposed to just eating okay, blue smarties no. and taking blue smarties. Uh, by the time this is read out on the podcast, I'll have worked a few cat shifts, so I do hope <laughs> that this episode of the podcast is helping with all the therapy I'll need. Warmest regards and annoying discorder, Ian. 
Thank you, Ian. Bless we, you, Ian, and your big we, knees. We love keeping the Discord alive. Everyone's um, got big knees now. Everyone has big knees. In fact, uh, well, in fact I got was one of the emails titled my knees yeah the screen just there well there that we was go the one we got from dan, that was from dan yeah um, there we are uh, big big knees yet. to all our listeners big knees knees up mother brown um <laughs> just make sure you lube up first oh congratulations congratulations uh i am the round of applause the mild round of applause that comes in between the announcement of each nosca nomination with two people who are like Wow, we're talking, aren't we? Um, did you watch the Oscar nomination announcement? Um, I watched that beautiful moment where who, it was, who, it was who, Issa Rae. Issa Rae went, "Congratulations to all those men." Yeah, we got fucking John Cho and Issa Rae to read out a list of yeah. some of the whitest nominations about it. Yeah, like, fucking hell, come on! And I also get the feeling that those two weren't privy to anything until the time of broadcast. I, as yeah, well. I get the feeling they were a bit like, "What could, the fuck is this?" As it's rolling out, you could tell that they were like, "Oh, this is why they've asked us to oh, do it." Oh yeah, so it doesn't look as white as it is. Yeah. Fucking hell. Fuck the Oscars. Ugh. We'll get to them. But first, things we are sort of excited Trailers about, maybe. came out. Trailers came all over our um, eyes. What do you want to talk about first, Chris? We've got a few to choose from. Well, I've not seen Bloodshot. Bloodshot. Trailer 2, so hit Trailer me two. with your bloodshot. Fire Why away. don't you hit me with your bloodshot? Did you see the last trailer for Bloodshot? I did, indeed. Uh, then you've, the seen, you've seen this trailer for Bloodshot. Oh, it's the same but trailer. a couple more shots of... Uh, um, Vin Diesel getting exploded and putting himself back together again and also uh, he's got pale skin in some of them and red eyes so a bit like the McFarlane Toys figure that's 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 out there now <sighs> looks okay. like generic action film with regenerating hero to maybe lead to some cool action sequences and Vin Diesel being Vin Diesel and Guy Pearce being an evil guy and what comics company is this again? Valiant Comics it's so... the first of their of their like comic adaptations, Valiant did uh, Bloodshot, uh, Exo Manowar, Archer and Armstrong. Uh, I think Quantum and Woody's one of theirs as well. Shooty Kill Kill, yeah, Bang Gentleman, uh, stuff basically. Explodey uh, Miss Prophet, I think there's one of theirs. Dragon Flame Hole, Ass Destroyer, Ass Biscuits, Ass Biscuits. Arse Destroyer. <laughs> it's my, that's my death metal band. Arse Destroyer. Hello, we are Arse Destroyer. The day this podcast goes live, I'll be seeing Slipknot at the, uh, the Manchester Arena. <coughs> oh. And I hope Arse Destroyer are supported. Oh. Could you climb up on stage and ask Corey Taylor why he did that terrible fucking nostalgia critic, Pink Floyd's The Wall? Corey, what were you, th- what were you thinking? Well, he's saying he's. Uh, he, he was saying that he, he has to strap his mask on so tight it gives him a headache when he's performing. So oh. he probably he probably did it. His after effects. A, yeah, probably did it in a in a in a fit of headache-induced mania. Oh, like I have to strap my mask on too tight, and now I'm in this nostalgia critic video. When you when you see him Friday, Thursday, Thursday. Uh, do let me know if if he randomly performs SpongeBob SquarePants. Apparently, he's been slipping that into the sets randomly. <laughs> Definitely for Stone Sour. I don't know if he's done it for Slipknot yet, but do let me know. I can't imagine. I'd love a Spongebob, a Slipknot version of Spongebob. That'd be great. That's a thing. That's a thing. That'd be great. (laughs) How great? I'm not going to do it. What if I give you a biscuit? No. 
There are no biscuits in this house. That's true. In this house. Because we're totally broke. Um, <laughs> hey, totally. Hey. But sure, the word. I'll it, looks, it looks like a film. What, what more do you want me to say? <laughs> Vin Diesel's in it. He's probably going to be weird on the junkets. Uh, I really like this character of Bloodshot. It's about family. Oh, dear. He's turned into Sylvester Stallone now. He's... Well has. Uh, let's speak- stay on Sony and oh, talk about. Must we? <laughs> oh, uh, you did a video about this. I did. If you want to see my full thoughts on the Sinister Six conspiracy, then uh, head to Big Damn Channel on YouTube and uh, give a watch to our uh, our Morbius video. But uh, yeah, the Morbius trailer, Morbius the Living Vampire, the Spider-Man villain turned solo movie anti-hero. The, the the Spider-Man spin-off <laughs> everyone was begging for. Well, the... no, but it, it was the it was the one out of the ones they announced that I went. I can see that working. Minus Spider-Man, the like, Jared Leto the only... vehicle everyone was begging for. Yeah, yeah. Can we just like not with Jared Leto now? Well, the thing is, Jared Leto can act. He's just an arse biscuit. Yeah, he can act. He consistently acts like a cunt. <laughs> God damn it. I mean, also, he acts in films, That's and people true. seem to like him in them, but he also acts like a cunt, constantly. <clears throat> um, Props to the designers for this thing. He's got the look down of Michael Morbius, and, and the brief glimpse we sort of have of him fully vampired out is very like, oh shit. Oh, you yeah, mean the bit the... from the last ten minutes of the film? Yeah, yeah. Well, that's exactly, it's definitely, definitely exactly. going to be exactly the bit from the last ten minutes. It's definitely going to be the last shot of the film. Pros, way more interesting looking than I thought it was going to be. The opening... two Jareds. What two Jareds? Did did, did he two? Oh, of course, Jared Harris. Jared Harris. Yes. Jared and the last one. Jared Harris. Um, so we've got a bad Jared and a good Jared. <laughs> a Jared. We've got. We have a Jared Diane. We have the. Uh... <laughs> They have a in the Jareds. The Diana um, Jareds. And at some point during the film, Matt Smith will drain them both of them. Oh, yeah. Lives. Also, Matt Smith's in the trailer, so he's probably going to be in the film and not be cut out of it. So that's something. Yeah, though, they, Thumbs have, to, up they there. have to not cut him out because he's in the frigate. I think he's the villain. I think he's the villain. Um, no, Jared Leto's the villain. Well, um, but. In his uh, own yeah, apparently, film. Matt Smith, he said he took the role because he asked Karen Gillen about like doing a comic book film, and she was like, oh my god, yeah, go for it. And that's why he's done it. So Karen Gillan's having shit, a whale of a time. It's though, Karen Gillan's fault. <laughs> yeah, there's a difference between doing the Guardians franchise and doing a fucking Sony sub Spider-Man <laughs> spin-off movie with Jared fucking Leto now, to in be it. Fair, it. It's a nice, you know, it's it's a nice interpretation that that I think worked quite well for the first two minutes of the trailer of like. You know, Jared Leto only agreed to do Robert. it because he got to piss around on crutches for the first half of the film. Oh, yeah, and keep his hair long. Yeah, and go, oh, I'm playing someone with a disability, so I'm so good. Fuck off, Jared. Now, not Harris. No, he's Leto. Harris can stay. Leto, <laughs> fuck off. Um, but it, it's, as for those who don't know, Michael Morbius is a, is a villain from the Spider-Man comic books. He's a scientist with a rare genetic blood disorder who, through his science, eventually tries to develop a cure, and that cure relies on the DNA of bats and several other things. And it results in him seemingly fine before mutating uh, into a vampiric creature. He's called the living vampire because he's not a vampire, but he requires blood to survive. Uh, sorry? He requires... Blood? 
Plasma. Plasma. No, that's the shitty 90s animated series where he has... Well, to try and make it less violent, All right. he needs plasma, All right. which is represented by like the people glowing as he drains their energy. How many, but how then, many of the potential audience for this yeah. have actually read a, book, a fucking Spider-Man comic book with Morbius in? And how many of the potential audience for this remember Morbius from the 90s cartoon? Yeah, but none of them are watching this trailer and going, oh, that's the guy from the cartoon. Because yes, no point, they are. Because at no point does his hand with a sucker mouth on it approach the camera and if it doesn't well it shouldn't because I'm out it's only in the 90s cartoon yeah and it the can't... best version of Morbius no, the most no. pop culturally penetrative version of Morbius now the living vampire it, I think that is the he might be an ultimate Spider-Man the cartoon not the excellent comic okay but I think the 90s animated series is the only adaptation of him yeah, because how many other fucking cartoons are going to do a vampire version of him with all the fucking restrictions they've got on content? Well, the 90s one had all the restrictions. That's why they had the plasma thing. But yeah, then they also, and that's why he's but great. But then they also put Blade in his, in his story. Yeah. They put Blade the vampire And he had a romance story. subplot with a police officer in it. And Blade, who gets to deliver the only hero uh, physical contact attack on another character in the history of the show. It's sunlight Because no, hero, no heroes punch anyone at any point sunlight in Spider-Man. grenades. Yeah, no. it's all kicks. No, no, no. He slams his motorcycle into Morbius. Fantastic. Aside from that, the heroes in that show weren't allowed to make physical contact with uh, with the villains. The Punisher was aside, in that show. Aside Chris. from grapple them, they were the allowed to grapple Punisher them. Punisher was in that show. I know. It's weird, isn't it? It's so it, weird. It, I, I I have fond memories of enjoying that show as a kid. Do not go back I to can't it. Can't watch it now. It, it is dreadful. Shit. Um, and also, there's no black cat in this film, as far as we know, so we can't go, Felicia! Uh, he can, in my mind. He's also not Transylvanian, for some reason. I know, he's fucking Jared Leto, so he'd be like, uh, Felicia. <laughs> well, no, because there's so, no Felicia. There's no Felicia. I'm so tortured, and I just... <laughs> you alright there? So I'm just dragging my hand down my face. <laughs> he was. Like Jared Leto being all tortured. But then his little sucker mouth on his palm bit him on the chin. Yeah. <laughs> I'm such a tortured genius. Look at me. Oh. But the downsides of this trailer... He's himself off in the mirror. The downsides of this trailer is the final minute pretty much shows the entire third act. Uh, yeah. Although there'll be some surprises. Like, we didn't see Riot in the first Venom trailer, and I guarantee Matt Smith's character will probably mutate into something as well. Because same freaking movie every time. Riot but... again. Well, see, now that'd be... It's just going to actually be Riot. That would be really weird and kind of unique, because you go, wait, what? That's a symbiote. Sorry, Surprise, a symbiote. carnage. <laughs> no. Symbiote. Don't, because the things that this trailer implies means that Woody Harrelson in that wig is canon in the MCU. <laughs> yes! You know those incredible interpretations of characters that they've managed to pull off in ways mm. that... Like, they took Batrock the Leaper... Mm. and put him in Captain America Winter Soldier and made him badass mm. like a character who's known as like a French acrobat in a purple and yellow spandex a outfit with a will. hilarious moustache who leaps around like I'm Batroxilipe yeah, and then Winter Soldier turns him into a pirate who steals a freaking shield ship and, and raids it with his team he just happens to be wearing purple and yellow in his costume and he's a kickboxer who's so good he can go toe to toe with Captain America for five minutes like that film went, hey, guess what? It's everything Batroc does, but it's also cool. And now, the version of Carnage that tangentially exists in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is Woody Harrelson in a fucking carrot top cosplay. 
I am... Oh, because this trailer reveals two things. One, Spider-Man Graffiti, with the word murderer scrolled across it, suggesting the events of Far From Home happened. Apart from the fact... It's a Sam Raimi costume Spider-Man Graffiti in an image shot in Manchester's Northern Quarter, which I guarantee was digitally added on afterwards. Oh, yeah. But it's just a flipped image of the Raimi suit from the promo image release of it for the PS4 game. Yeah. So it's not Holland Spider-Man. No, it's just the, it's, that's just the assets Sony had on hand. Despite them being the <laughs> studio that brought you Spider-Man Homecoming and Spider-Man Far From Home. And Venom. And I Venom. it saves that for last. Um, mm. I was about to say, that one you loved, right? Nope. You loved that Venom movie. On my planet, People did! On my planet, that film was kind of a loser. Yeah. Like Eddie. Like Eddie. Um, so on my that. planet. So that suddenly you see Spider-Man, you're like, wait, are they implying that this takes place in the same world as Far From Home? And then, the end of the fucking trailer... Michael Keaton, presumably playing Adrian Toomes, because they've definitely dressed him in the same costume from the prison scene post-credits from Homecoming, addresses... Was it Dr. Morbius? Like, tired of whatever it is that the other... What's up, Doc? What's up, Doc? And you're like, wait, Vulture? If you want to know my full thoughts on why this is a big pile of bullshit, uh, it's either because Sony are trying to slip some under the radar to halfway house their way into the MCU. Just like Jared Leto does to underage fangirls. (laughs) let us not forget that um, and also why this is connected to the long gestating Sinister Six project that Sony have been trying to force onto the world so long gestating I think it's still born and it's giving its motherfucking blood poison at just, this point just fucking just think about those poor CGI artists who had to render the end credits for the amazing Spider-Man 2 and we're told yeah, just sort of do do like Craven's vest but metal and we're just going to see a close up of it we're just going to see a close up of it as, as fucking Alicia Keys sings It's On Again like it's gonna be great it's like oh for god's sake uh, go to Big Damn just Channel uh, on YouTube and have a little watch of my video because I, I vent my frustrations there just do uh, Chris Cooper's head in a jar yeah no they never got just around to that. that they never got around to that but we've still got that leaked shots. production st- still we've got yeah, that leaked yeah, production yeah. still because that scene where you see the guy Mr. whatever his name is Mr. Fears Mr. Fears walking through the lab with all the random tech um, yeah, the conclusion of that shot is him walking up to the, the tanked head of Norman Osborn. I just fucking... That, oh, God. I'm, I'm just saying, Amy Pascal, just please keep her away from my favourite characters. Although she is Oscar-nominated as producer for the for Little Women, which apparently is very, very good. So there is that. Yeah, but let's face it. Did she work on Little Women? Or did she... Just get it Own made. Pascal Pictures. Yeah. She didn't fucking work on Into the Spider-Verse, but Pascal Pictures helped produce it. So, just saying. Um, uh, um, and trailer-wise, Black Widow, we got a new look. Uh, extended look during an American sports thing. Go sports! Go sports! It, it's, it's sort of like a less... Uh, elaborate version of the original teaser trailer like we see much less of the film as a whole mm. but we get a few new lines of dialogue sort of confirmation within this that like I'm on the run I tried to do the right thing and whatever yeah. so it's like yeah this is post-Civil War um, a bit more with David Arbour fucking love it's, that guy it's, it's water weight um, <laughs> just fucking twisting it guys ah, I'm most of the way off <laughs> Yes. Love it. A lot of Taskmaster being a fucking badass. Yeah. Including a big, like, we're establishing who this guy's, what this guy's power set is to newcomers with the bit where, like, she's shooting at him and he just whips up the shield with the old school, like, Taskmaster, like, weird yeah. T on it. And yeah. then he fucking lobs it like caps. Yeah. You're like, 
Right, you guys are setting up the idea that this is a, an amalgam of people's skill sets. A mimic. Um, we get a better look at the suit, which is very much, it's like, this is a customised Iron Man costume. That's what it looks like. Yeah. Um, like, it's not flying around, but it's like the armour level, the helmet structure's a bit similar, that's been turned into a bit of a skull shape. Uh, so that's really cool. I still think Taskmaster's going to turn out to be um, Rachel Weisz. Twist villain. Could be Florence Pugh. <clears throat> I don't know. I think they're. I think they're leaving her as as as, to as replace the Black to, Widow. To, yeah, to yeah. be a Black Widow within the, the MCU going forward. Um, well, there's, there's, there seems to be establishing that there are new Black Widows. Yeah, yeah. All over the shop. Um, but how freaking badass would that be if? Because the thing is, Taskmaster. Like, I can't remember his, his name. It's like Morris something or whatever in the comics. I don't I think remember. they've given him a proper name. No, it's it's come out since because based on who's writing him, Taskmaster is either this really like ambiguous, mysterious assassin. Yeah. Who's got a, a photographic memory so sharp he can survive encounters with with heroes stronger than him and go toe to toe with other heroes by mimicking their skill set, or He's the head of a mercenary um, group. He has those powers, but he's a bit more of a, ah, Christ alive, apparently I've got to kill Spider-Man. Right, Spider-Man, sorry, but you got to die now. And he's a bit more sarcastic and a bit more throwaway and goofy. He trains henchmen. Trains henchmen, yeah. Um, deals in, in, in weapons trading and all this in the black market. Like it's it's So he's either mysterious assassin person or... Like, put upon, oh, God, here we go, assassin person who can have adventures with Deadpool and things like that. Um, but he's not Doc Ock. He's not the Joker. He's, he's not one of these villains. He's not the an arch villain. At large. He's, so, a, he's, a, he's a villain for hire, essentially. So you could absolutely be like, oh, Taskmaster is, is this suit. And this suit adapts to people's skill sets. Yeah. Which is established in what technically is the prequel to this movie, Civil War. When Iron Man's fighting Bucky and Cap in the last scene, yes, and he goes into the like he Friday and him put on these protocols where he's using their move set to counter what they're going to do, so he can fight against them longer. So they've established that the Iron Man armor can do that, and if this is a customized Iron Man armor, then it can absolutely do that. Which means anyone can be the Taskmaster as long as they're wearing the suit. So make it Rachel Vise. Just so we can have a moment where she opens up her Rachel visor to reveal... And also, uh, Resident Evil 3 uh, trailer came out while we were setting up to record. Sorry, I've not finished frowning at that <coughs> Rachel visor gag. Rachel Vise, Rachel Vise. She was the best one in the mummy. Also right. the mummy too. But didn't come back for The Mummy 3, and that says a lot about The Mummy 3. I've not um, seen it. It's dreadful. Still not seen it. Um, so, uh, the Resident Evil trailer looks pretty damn Resi 3. This is for the, This is for the remake of the Resi 3 game. This is not for a new <laughs> Resident Evil film project. We're shifting mediums here. Yes, but it's coming out in... April, March. Uh, March. Start on March. Looks good. I mean, obviously the trailer's mostly cinematics. Yeah, but if it's anything like um, the Resident Evil 2 remake, I know it's on the same engine. Yeah. Not that stuff will all be an engine. Looks nice. Nemesis yeah. looks happy and shiny. Not sure about the flamethrower. I hope that's not with Nemesis the entire game. Because like, it, doesn't, it doesn't normally have a big Gatling gun or something underneath. It's a so. remake, Chris. 
True, but like, gives a variety, you know what I mean? Like, the creepiest thing about him is how he looks, so don't keep us at bay with a flamethrower. Like, get close to us and Oh, no, out. you'll definitely get You'll be. If there's anything. The thing that they'll probably maintain from the original is the fact that he's just following you the whole fucking time. <clears throat> yeah. Which they did a little bit with, with Mr. <clears throat> X in Resident Evil 2. Yes. Yeah. Um, Almost feels now like that was a, a that was a dry run. Yeah. I mean, for, Mr. For X is in the AI. original Resident Evil 2. Yeah. That's not a new feature. They changed the way he works and yeah. when he pops up in the remake, but... They made, he, him, they made him more intimidating. Yeah. Um, the, like he was already does, intimidating, but they were like, how do we make the current generation who may not have played the original yeah, be friends of this guy? There is a similar mechanic of him following you in the original <laughs> Resi 2. Mm. It's not new for the remake. Um, yeah, looks good. I think they're going to give Carlos more to do, they've said, in this one. Because um, the original one was mostly Jill. Speaking oh. of strong female leads... Birds of Prey trailer. This is what we're getting. Birds, birds of Prey. Birds of Prey. Birds, 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 birds of Tray. Birds of Milk Tray. I'm happy about... The Birds of Milk Tray. I'm cautiously optimistic about Birds of Prey. I like the second trailer a lot more than the first. I think... And I think it's because the trailer be makes a point of going, Hey everybody, here's your team. Yeah. Here are the characters you're going to spend this here movie Here are the with. birds Harley Quinn's our way in. Yeah. But here's Renee Montoya. Here's Cassandra Cain. Here's Huntress. Here's Black Canary. Here's Black Canary. Um, I am yeah go for it yes not sure about the Bruce Wayne joke at the end because it again it's we've gone into it we won't go into it now I have I have worries that this film is going to rely on you giving a shit about prior movies to understand a lot of its mechanics I don't think it is but, uh, that's what I said that's what I'm saying we won't dwell on it it's just a thing I have it's people know have. that Harley Quinn is a Batman character yeah, and exists sure. the Batman my universe absolutely sure yes i agree but i don't want to keep getting distracted by references to that other stuff when i'd rather watch renee montoya kicking ass I'd it's just watch... a reference to the wider batman mythos Chris. i like bud and lou okay i like bud and lou jesus there's good names for hyenas damn it <laughs> oh, i'm so annoyed that this batman character keeps referring to batman things <clears throat> yeah <laughs> why I'm autistic, that's why. Fucking hell. <laughs> be less autistic, yeah? <laughs> yeah, because I can fuck turn it the fuck off. <laughs> yeah. That's how it works, right? Go like, unvaccinate yourself. This is not how that works. <laughs> Fucking hell. Oh, I, 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 I miss when Big Dubcast wasn't so political. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, peas and rice. Uh, <laughs> we're bad people. We're bad people. Just like Harley Quinn and some of the characters in Birds of Prey. Black I, mask, it, the Black Mask looks good. The Black Mask looks good. It seems good. to be the same design as the Arkham Origins look for it. Yeah, I think that's the way you do a sort of more... <clears throat> not grounded, because this movie doesn't look fucking grounded at all. But more... Um, it doesn't. It doesn't look. It looks outlandish in the way Suicide Squad did, where it just looked like they plastered a load of filters yeah, over yeah. the footage after the fact. It looks like they've shot this with that neon color scheme in mind. Oh, it's how you. It's how you. I mean, there's a funhouse location in it. Like, yeah. there's a massive, like old school, like Silver Age funhouse in there. I would like this to be colorful and weird and fun, and I have yeah. a feeling it's gonna veer in that direction did you realise it took me after this trailer to like look it up to be sure the guy with the short blonde hair with the scars on his face and neck it's Zaz 
I think I remember someone mentioned Zaz being in it, but I didn't clock that in the that, trailer. That's no. him. That's the Victor Zaz, his Black Mask's right-hand man. And it looks like they're a little bit cuddly as well. Like They're a little bit kind of pally. Uh, the rumour is that, that they, they've made Black Mask gay in this. Go for it. Yeah. Fucking Black so, Mask and Zaz sure. having a thing? Great. Yeah. Um, that means it's a Zaz who who's, <laughs> who doesn't need to lighten up by the look of it. looks like he's already quite happy. Well... Um, Although he probably I, still gets his kicks from doing a bit of slice and dice. I do I do look forward to the day where we get full on comic book Zaz in the movie. I hope we get a bit of him in this one. The whole like just see Bibli- almost almost on his own biblical mission. I don't. You know why? Why? I think he's a bit crap. Oh he is. But that's <laughs> but that's why it's satisfying when there's the, the, the that's why it's satisfying when the psycho billionaire in the bulletproof rubber suit punches yeah. him in the face. It's a bit like saying, you know who I hope we get get a really good version of in the in the film soon? Amygdala. Fuck off, you know <laughs> You know that'd be a great throwaway henchman to have in one you know of these think, films. You know, what, you know what I think we get a really good version of... I want my medicine! You know I, think we get... I want my medicine now! You know, I, hope, I hope we get a really good version of it in the film soon. <laughs> Clayface, but not the original Clayface, like the second one who had weird acid skin and had to wear a containment suit. That's the that's the Clayface I want in the films. And I hope okay. we get a really good okay. version of it. Okay, you, look... <laughs> That is ridiculous. You know who I've got a really good version of in the films? Anarchy. Now, Tormod, that'd be a decent Uh, spot in the film. Asriel. (laughs) John Paul Valley, I feel, has been underserved by the DCEU and their varied film projects. And I will not rest until we have an accurate and appropriate portrayal of this iconic character in the new movie, in The Order of Saint Dumas, <laughs> or The Righteous uh, Emancipation of um, One Jean Paul, Paul Valley. <laughs> the Order of Saint Dumas, because that's what that character is. <laughs> Not saying when, I don't like him. When are we getting a Lady Shiva just fucks with people movie? The lady Shiva. Well, if you go on the mask of Tengu. If you go on Pornhub, you can find the Lady Shiva Just Fucks movie. <laughs> Probably. I wouldn't know. I've never seen it. Can we just it. adapt characters' side arcs from the Nightfall saga into whole films? Fucking hell. Can we, can we send crippled Bruce Wayne to Monthly Hall? Can you imagine? <laughs> can you with, imagine? To deal with, to deal with entire, Robin Hood and the psychic people. Can you imagine an entire Batman film where Bruce Wayne is not Batman for the entire film because he's in a wheelchair? It'd be amazing. It'd be fucking amazing. Can you imagine how much that'd piss people off? It'd probably that. get nominated for 11 Oscars. I would love Because everyone that. knows that nothing gets the Oscar voting board raging erections <laughs> like a Batman film without Batman in it. Fucking hell. So the Oscar nominations for this week. <laughs> Jesus Christ. And guess what? If you're white... Or have white face paint. And you're a cisgendered male, you're in luck. Jesus Christ. 20 nominations across the four acting categories, Christopher. How many people of colour? Uh, None. One. Whom? Cynthia Erivo for uh, Harriet. Harriet, yes. In which she plays Harriet Tubman in a film that I have not seen anyone say anything good about. Ah. <laughs> but if her performance is good, then fair enough on the nomination. Absolutely. Yeah, I suppose. But it is a um, odd that it's it, it does kind of feel... Because is the film nominated for much else? 
Harrier. I think it's in a couple of other categories. Maybe. Um, I don't think so. I'm going to pull up the list. Well, that's, well, the, thi- that's the thing as well. It, if you are... If you are... Um, <laughs> a fan of the same seven films, then... Oh, this is your year. Like last year. Fucking hell, this is your and year. And the year before that. Ooh. And the year before that. Um, yeah, Harriet is nominated for... Cynthia Erivo for lead actress and nothing else. Is it not else? Uh, no, nothing else. I hope it's because nothing she gave else. a really freaking good performance and not just because they went, well, we need to put one of those non-whites in a nomination. <sighs> I hate to say, oh, it's nominated for Best Original Song as well for stand-up. <laughs> I did not expect... Uh, film about Harriet Tubman to be nominated for <clears throat> best original song, but there well, we go. It, there Here we a, are. There was a there was a slot available after Cats withdrew from its for your consideration. Fucking hell! Think about the money they've wasted on the for your consideration campaign. I mean, think about the money they wasted on making Cats. But that, in light of its box office bomb, I mean, I suppose it gave some special effects artists work for a while, but. Imagine, so there is that. Imagine not making, knowing you're not going to make your money back on your on your massive film, and then spending an additional like twenty million on press to try and get it nominated for awards, and then going, we should just cut our losses here, guys. Imagine <laughs> wanting to make a film that requires a level of abstraction from its source material and a level of visual craft and a level of artistry. And then employing Tom fucking Hooper. Yeah, uh, so let's talk him. about like, the most literal director in all of Hollywood. Let's get him to make cats. Like, I was saying this about like I said this. In, I was trying to remember what I said last week, but I couldn't remember. But I, I was saying this to Kenisha in the car after we, after we went to watch Cats. I was like, the Cats works on stage. I mean, I don't think it does, but people like it, so it must work on some level. But when Cats works on stage, it works because there is a level of abstraction that comes from the fact that you know you're a person in an auditorium sitting down and watching people dressed as cats, pretending to be cats, singing songs about cats. But then when you do that and try and do it literally on film without that layer of abstraction other than the natural labor extraction that comes from you know, the fact that you know you're watching video on a screen, then it doesn't work. No. And guess who doesn't have an abstract bone in his body? Tom fucking Tom Hooper. Fucking Hooper. Um, but he's got such great material to work with. I mean, just look at the rum Tom Togger. If you offer him pheasant, Matt, he'd rather have grouse. If, if, if you, you offer, him, if you offer, offer him, for him to go out, he'd rather stay in. But if you want him to stay in... He's gonna go out! Oh, the complexity. Milk! Um. Fucking hell. <laughs> Fucking hell. You know, the whole debate's come back up of, like, Spielberg wanting to adapt that movie in the early 90s. As, as an animation, which he should have been. But even then, I'm like, if that animation had lasted longer than an hour and ten, it would have been so obnoxious. Because there's only so many times you can I mean, animate cats introducing it's themselves. It's still cats. Mm-hmm. Which is the biggest problem it has. Yeah. But, you know. Na, 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 no Oscar nominations for this because Best they drew from their last minute campaign, which apparently worked for everyone else because every single one of the big fucking movies that's nominated recurringly 
all seem to have come out in the last five months alone. Yeah, nothing before August, I don't think. So strange. Um, so Oh, no, strange. it's not a lie. A couple of, one thing a couple creep before in, August, but, but not in the it, major categories. It's the usual suspect in the technical of, categories. this film did really well critically and commercially, but we're yeah. going to nominate it for visual effects. Like Avengers Endgame. Yeah. I'm not expecting Avengers Endgame necessarily. It's well, not but get do you know what? Do you know what? Define best picture because if you were actually thinking of best picture as like all round what it's done for cinema that year or the response to it, whatever. Endgame, if you look at it that way, should absolutely have a nom because of how much it got the world to talk. Well, some cunts nominated Joker, so best picture don't mean shit. No, that's what I'm saying. Exactly, it's best picture it doesn't mean anything. Best picture doesn't mean anything. It means certain parameter of, of boxes ticked every time and usually released nearer the time of the Oscars itself so everyone could be like oh yeah that film was oh it was deep oh, I saw oh, that, that last week was, that film was prestige or, yeah. or that film was very classical like that's you know what I mean that's 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 it that's what it takes to go for best picture Black Panther was not nominated for best picture last year because the Academy believed it was best worth best picture worthy it was nominated because they wanted to get everybody off their back about the lack of inclusion from anything other than predominantly white projects. And then this year, in the press surrounding the Oscars, Black Panther's successes last year have been flat out ignored. Mm. So many articles this year, I've counted three from major outlets, talked about, will Joker dispel the the uh, the, the the hesitance to nominate comic book movies? Black Panther got nominated last year. Three times, three categories. One, two of them? Yeah, yeah. So it's like, what's your, what's your fucking, like, what, what did you forget that, guys? Yeah, but did this... you forget that, guys? Did you fucking forget that the film that's been nominated a bunch of times this year is about a character who is the first ever superhero movie um, related no, Oscar win? Joker's in ten years ago when Heath Ledger won it posthumously for his supporting actor uh, role in The Dark Knight. Joker playing in, the Joker. Joker's important because so many of the Oscar voting panel can relate to it because it's about mediocre white men failing upwards, <laughs> made by mediocre white men failing upwards. These guys watched, and it I say that as a mediocre white man who has yet to fail upwards. We're failing sideways yeah. right now. I'm just <laughs> failing and not going anywhere. So these, I've got a little bit of jealousy. Well, these guys watched it and related to Thomas Wayne and thought he was the hero. Oh, t- <laughs> punch I, a mentally I ill man! I would punch that mentally ill. Uh, man. Um, right. Let's let's visual effects. Oh, visual effects. Avengers Endgame. Yeah, there's some incredible fucking work being done there. Thanos is but one element of it that deserves a nomination. And Thanos' butt is but one element of it that deserves a nomination. But not uh, deserving of Ant-Man crawling into it, apparently. The fun you could have. Can't you know, they, wait for that what-if episode. You, you've read the, the, the <laughs> issue of Avengers where um, Ant-Man is implied to have been inside Janet Van Dyne's genital area doing things for her. What? No. I remember Ultimates... Suggesting no. that very oh, okay. heavily. Okay. Ultimate suggested that very no, heavily. No, it's a panel from Avengers that you're thinking of that came out around the same time. Oh, good lord. Oh, god. Yeah. Uh, the, oh, I- god. the Irishman. <clears throat> of course. N- n- oh, yeah, because they de three characters. Stuff. Yeah. Uh, 1917. I've not seen it yet, but I assume, again, it's a lot more it's, of like blending. It's and, a wanna, so it's a lot of like live effects. Yeah. Okay. That happening because it's a there's a whole the the idea is it's a one shot film. Okay. Um, the Lion King. Oh, why visual effects? It's an animated movie. But it's live action. No, it's it is an animated movie. It's an animated film. 
with but, live action but backgrounds. They did shoot on live action backgrounds. <sighs> so compositing, yes, it's visual effects, but fucking whatever. Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. Yeah. I mean that movie is fireworks. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. It's yeah. gonna go to Endgame. Um, um Yeah. My bias with Star Wars is I just felt like the set pieces the set pieces were very bland and samey. But there were standout ones that were really lovely. I mean, technically very good, but yeah, I get yeah. what you mean. Uh, costume design. Okay. Uh, Sandy Powell and Christopher Peterson for The Irishman. Period drama, easy nomination, yeah. not that interesting. May C. Rubio for Jojo Rabbit. Period drama, not that interesting as far as the nomination I don't know. goes. It deserves uh, an Oscar alone for Sam Rockwell's... Um, Last Stand costume, which you'll understand when you see the film. Um, (laughs) Mark Bridges for Joker. Again, period costume, but when it comes to the TV stuff and Arthur in particular, it's very stylized. So, yeah, 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 sure, sure. Uh, (laughs) Jacqueline Duran for Little Women. Again, period drama, very safe. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm hearing so much good stuff about Little Women. I'm gonna have to go see it. Me too, um, but it's just as far as costumes go. I always, I always yeah. get bored because every year the majority of noms are for period films. Yeah, which is like you say costume design. I'm not discounting the work of the costume designers and department working on the film, but they are mostly just going back into a fucking archive of pre-existing well, costumes. You know, you say you, 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 that they're all period films. Yeah. Well, I've got a surprise for you. Oh, the last the... nomination. Go on. Is uh, Ariane Phillips for once upon a time in Hollywood? Just for once, can it be for? Can it be for something where they like they, a shitload of craft has had to go into it to create them? Yeah, Rise of Skywalker, not so much because it's just kind of recycling stuff we've seen over the last two films of that series. Well, then what would it have been <clears throat> from this year? Really? Um, <clears throat> well, just not more of the same. Um, I don't know, man. I mean, I know it's I know it's a singular costume, and I don't think this film necessarily is worthy of the nom. But like, look at the work that went into just building Mysterio for Far From Home. Like, that's yeah. some interesting fucking costume yeah. work right there. Um, makeup and hair. Uh, bombshell, Joker, Jude, Maleficent, Mistress of Evil, and nineteen seventeen. Where's Us? No, it came out before August, so it doesn't count. <laughs> 2019 was only six months long Oz is perfect for makeup and hair because it's all about the simplicity and allowing the actors to to create the character through brief makeup changes spoiler alert many of the actors in that film played two characters yeah Um, spoiler alert for a nearly year old release now oh this is an interesting category best original song this category is usually utter bullshit because it's usually songs specifically created so it can be up for this nomination. Um, it's very rarely is it for a musical. I Can't Let You Throw Yourself Away from Toy Story 4. <sighs> See, that that one doesn't feel like a stretch because it's a song written for the soundtrack, yeah. so fair enough. I, I'm Gonna Love Me Again from Rocket Man. Again, yes, but it's a, there's a bit of that taste of they've added this because they needed a new song to qualify yeah. for this category. Is it a good song? The whole of Rocket Man's good. So. Not true, but like is that song. Well, it didn't stand out to me as something that wasn't already in Elton John's back catalogue. Okay, so then it did its job absolutely yeah. within the film. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, 
Like, had you not told me that it was new, I wouldn't have noticed. Um, You'd have been like, oh, I don't know this one. Yeah. yeah. I'm Standing With You from Breakthrough. Don't know what that is. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it's 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 the one that's been added because Cat's pulled its number. That's why. <laughs> uh, Into the Unknown from Frozen 2. It's a musical, so fair enough. It's a pretty good song as well. Fucking chorus kicks, man. <laughs> um, Stand Up from Harriet. Okay. <sighs> yeah. It's going to go to Into the Unknown. Um, original score. Uh, Hildur Gudnadotti for Joker. Yeah, no, absolutely. Good the score. music for that Good film score. was tremendous. Uh, Alexandra Desplat for Little Women. <clears throat> Not uh, heard it, but. Randy Newman for Marriage Story. Um, this is a story about the ghost in the shell and the man who was a marine. But now he's an actor. I'm pretty sure they're having realistic dialogue that's... in the living room. I'm pretty sure that's not how the score for Marriage. But who do do do? Um, Thomas Newman. I love LA. Thomas Newman for 1917, <laughs> and John Williams for Star Wars: The Rise of Skywalker. That to me, his 52nd nomination. That to me feels more like a. We think he's going to die soon. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Like the music in Rise of Skywalker is great, but it's mostly it's mostly a retooling. Yeah. Actually, no, no, I'm saying it's it. Not it's not mostly even that a retooling great. of his his themes from the original yeah. series. Yeah. So I suppose it's kind of like a victory lap. Well, he's done them all. Yeah. Yeah. So it's all him. Um, production design. <laughs> Wouldn't you guess it? It's Bob Shaw and Regina Graves for The Irishman. Uh. It's Ra Vincent and Nora Subkova for Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. It's Dennis Gastner and Lee Sandales for 1917. Yeah, I get the whole period. It's Barbara Lightling and, Hansi- and Nancy High for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Whole period. Joker? Uh, no. Uh, no. Lee Ha Jun and Chu Won Woo, Hanga Ram and Cho Hee for Parasite. Parasite, okay. Okay, that at least is different. Um, yes. Yeah, again, the period thing, I think it's just a hang-up I have, but I wonder if others have it. Let me know in an email, guys, or tweet us at Big Dumbcast. It's definitely just you. I'm curious. It was just so many of these things, like costume design, set design, makeup, hair, etc., are always nominations for period pieces. And, yeah. of course, I'm not underselling the amount of creativity and hard work that goes into accurately recreating different parts, periods in history. But it's always weird that, it, that it's very rarely a fictional world, or very rarely... Mm. Uh, summit from say like a, a science fiction or a horror where it has to be created completely from the imagination. Yeah, they have to make it whole cloth essentially. Like that to me is yeah. worthy of at least one or two nominations of something that is new and has never existed before. Um, but it's always like, oh my god! But do you know why? It's because all the academy members are like, that's how my house used to look. <laughs> as as particularly eight, once upon a time in Hollywood, are breathing and sucking their dick for them. Like, how do you get an Oscar nomination, Quentin Tarantino? Oh, you just write a film about Hollywood. Oh, jeez, fucking La La Land. Yeah, La La Land <clears throat> is an enjoyable movie, but nowhere near as worth the amount of praise as the Oscars heaped on it that year. But it's about, but it's Hollywood. about Hollywood. Yeah. yeah. Um, sound mixing. Okay. Ad Astra. Which I didn't see. For yeah, but, v Ferrari. Yeah, but again, like science fiction, wasn't yeah. it? Astro, so it's like you're actually experimenting with um, sound. Good. Hard yeah. sci-fi, though. Uh, uh, Ford v Ferrari. So, uh, Le Mans uh, 66. Joker. No Joker. 1917. Maybe 1917. And Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Fuck off. Um, Fuck off with that. Those, those first three, yes. 
No Joker, no Once Upon a Time. Nonsense. Nonsense, nonsense, nonsense! Uh, sound editing. Don Sylvester for Ford v Ferrari. Yeah, Alan Alan Robert Murray for Joker. No! Oliver Tarney and Rachel Tate for 1917. Wiley Stateman for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. And Matthew Wood and David Acord for Star Wars The Rise of Skywalker. So many fucking movies that are the same showing up in every bastard category. Because this isn't about what actually deserves it. It's about which producers of wine dined and sucked off the Academy Elders the most. Film That's literally why. Joker, people enjoyed it. I respect that. If you enjoyed it and you're hearing me moan about it, great. I'm glad you enjoyed it. I wish that I did. But fuck me, it is not worthy of half of these things it's been nominated for. Hey. Good God. I'm just delivering the message. Good fucking... God. And the message is that the nominations like, I love for the Avengers category Endgame. film editing... I wouldn't put Avengers Endgame in best screenplay or adapted screenplay. No. Because it's it's a very unique case of, oh my god, the the feat of them juggling this amount of stuff yeah. and making it coherent is impressive as hell. But it's not a standalone piece of work per se that would work for everyone. That being said... That being said... Like, I would put it in other categories. Joker does not deserve to be in this many categories. Well, I hope really you like seeing the same names over and over again, oh, because Jesus. this is the category for film editing. Oh, Jesus. Uh, Michael McCusker and Andrew Buckland for Ford v. Ferrari. Sure. Uh, Thelma Shoemaker for The Irishman. Tom Eagles, for, Tom Eagles for Jojo Rabbit. Uh, uh, Jeff yeah. Groth for Joker. <clears throat> no. And Jim Yang for Parasite. Joker does not deserve that nomination alone. For the fucking sequence where they go back to make sure you know Zazie Beats was never there. Yeah. You want to talk about expository dialogue? Yeah. Oh, fucking God, hell. yeah. Like, um, the, the, it doesn't hold your hand. It literally picks you up out of your cinema seat and goes, No, but do you realise? And it takes you on a two-minute journey through something that you already know because you're intelligent. Uh, best international feature film uh, category I have no knowledge about. Okay. Uh, Jan Kamasa for Corpus Christi. Uh, Tamara Kotevska and Yubo Stefanov for Hunderland. Mm-hmm. Uh, Lee for Les Miserables. Uh, Pedro Almodovar for Pain and Glory. And Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Pain and Glory and Parasite I've been hearing a lot of good stuff about. Yeah, Pain and Glory pops up in a couple of other places as well. Um, Foreign language films are always tough ones to catch up on for me because if they're not in the cinemas for longer than like a couple of days, it's hard to fit them in. A lot of the time they go straight to streaming over here as well. Yeah, and then at home, it's one of yeah. those where I'm like, me and Lucy will tend to watch stuff while we're having or just after we've had tea. Yeah. And during tea, we're both reluctant to watch what we call readers. <laughs> Do you know what I mean? Because you're not necessarily always got eyes on the screen. And also, it's subs, not dubs. Every time. I prefer subs. Oh yeah, in all Subs honesty, every time. Um, but I, I want to give it, I want to give it the attention it deserves. Yeah, yeah. Um, <clears throat> it's like you know, it took us ages to finally get around to watching the third wreck. We've not even watched the fourth one yet, and we really want to because it was just a case of finding that night where we knew that the pets weren't going to be a nuisance. We yeah. wouldn't be eating anything. I would <laughs> like to watch more. To watch more subtitled stuff, but I just I'm always doing something when I'm watching things. So, I mean, depends on what you're doing. You, yeah, you can still continue to jerk it. Well, yeah, I don't have to look at myself for that. In fact, it's better if I don't. Uh, best live action short. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my my porn is those old karaoke music videos with like the, the thing bouncing uh, along the words. Uh, Marianne <laughs> Jubert for Brotherhood, Eves Piat for Nefta Football Club, uh, Marshall Curry for The Neighbor's Window. 
Brian Buckley for Saria and Delphine Girard for a sister. Is this the so shorts? No, it's the best live action shorts. I'll be honest, don't know. Th- this always seems like one of the categories where it is actually fair game because yeah. the Academy don't pay I, attention. I don't even know how you, where you would watch a lot of these outside of the festival circuit. That's <clears> the... I guess they'd be submitted to the Academy for their Yeah, no, but I don't know where the public would watch a lot of these is what I'm saying. Yeah, true. Um, true. But then again, it's more a case of this is one of the few categories where I'm like, it actually affects the people who've made it. Yeah. Because if they get nominated yeah. and then if, you know, and or if they win, it, it bumps them up to the point where people go, oh, that short film won a thing. I wonder what it is. And more people then go to check it out. Yes. Whereas all the rest of them have been watched by people. And I think you could probably say the same for the next category, which is Best Documentary Short Subject. Yeah! Which gives us uh, Yi Seung Joon and <clears throat> Gary Byung Seok Kam for In the Absence. Apologies if I uh, garbled those names. Um, Carol Dysinger for Learning to Skateboard in a War Zone. Kristin Samuelson and John Haptus for Life Overtakes Me. Uh, Samriti Mundara and Sami Khan for St. Louis Superman. And Laura Nix for Walk, Run, Cha Cha. Best luck to all of them because, again, this will give them a platform that they would not have had prior because of mm. the festival circuits and whatnot. So let's see. Best documentary feature. <coughs> documentary feature. Hit me. Um, Julia Reichardt and Stephen Bogner for American Factory. Uh, yeah. Ferris Fiard for The Cave. Petra Costa for The Edge of Democracy. Okay. Wad Alkatib and Edward Watts for Sama. Uh, Tamara, uh, Tamara Kotevska and Lyubo Stefanov for Honeyland, which is also up for Best International Feature. <coughs> so that's interesting. I've seen a documentary in Best International Feature. Yeah. As well as Best Documentary Feature. Um, that either means it's a damn fine piece of work, or the Academy watched about five things and just went, eh, just put that one in that one as well. Well, from the next couple of categories, you'd be forgiven for thinking that the uh, the Academy watched about five things, because here we go with cinematography. Oh, fuck. Uh, Rodrigo Prieto for The Irishman. Lawrence Scher for Joker. Jaren, um, maybe. Garen uh, yeah. Blaschke for The Lighthouse, which I haven't seen yet because it's now over here to the end of the month. Fuck yes, though. Like, from um, everything I've seen of that movie, the fact that that's yeah. in there, I'm happy about. Uh, Roger, I bet it's not been nominated for any other thing. Uh, a couple of things. Oh. Uh, Roger Deakins for 1917. Um, okay. And because it's Roger Deakins. Uh, Robert Richardson for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Hollywood! Um, original screenplay. And... Um, Take this one in because you're not going to be seeing it again. Mm-hmm. Ryan Johnson for Knives Out. If it doesn't get the recognition it deserves, if not the win, I'll be very upset. Well, it hasn't because it's it's not been nominated for anything else. Uh, Noah mm-hmm. Baumbach for Marriage Story. Uh, Sam Mendes and Christy Wilson Cairns for 1917. Uh, Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Look off. And uh, Bong Joon-ho and Jin Won Han for Parasite. I want Knives Out to win it because it's a fucking well-crafted movie with a brilliant script. A script that works already but is then elevated yeah. by the performer's choices. It'd also be nice for Parasite to win it because a It'd foreign be language film, film, to, film win to win best, best original screenplay yeah. would be great. Um, best adapted <laughs> screenplay. <clears throat> right, okay. Stephen Zalian for The Irishman. Uh, Taika Waititi. Right, is The Irishman based on a documented piece of work about that story of Jimmy Hoffa I'm not sure I bet it I bet it's something like based on the book something something yeah, time with Jimmy Hoffa or something like that uh, okay. Taika Waititi for Jojo Rabbit 
Is that based it's on? It's based on a novel. I uh, can't remember what the... It's not called Jojo Rabbit, the novel, but it's based on. Okay. Uh, Todd Phillips and Scott Silver for Joker. Fuck off. Greta Gerwig for Little Women. And yes, because that is actually an adaptation yeah. of a well-known book. And Anthony McCartan for The Two Popes. <clears throat> um, is that the one with the Jonathan Price Jonathan and Price Hopkins? Jonathan Price and Hopkins, Hopkins yeah. Uh, okay, Best Anthony, Animated Short. the best at Twitter, Hopkins. The best at Twitter. So on Best Animated Short. Best Animated Short. Uh, Daria Kashiva for Zera. Matthew A. Cherry for Hair Love. Rosanna Sullivan for Kitbull. Bruno Collett for Memorable. And Siki Song for Sister. I remember a lot of buzz about Hair Love when that I've not seen did the rounds. But I've not seen any of them. Um, okay, best animated feature. This is an interesting one. Into the Spider-Verse, again. Because <laughs> let's face it, good. nothing's topped it. Uh, Dean Dubois for How to Train Your Dragon, The Hidden World. Um, yeah, those films have always been really visually like beautiful um, and well-rendered. The Hidden World is good. Like, it is good. <clears throat> And it's, it's a definite it'd, end it'd, for it'd that be series. Ni- it'd be nice for that series as a whole yeah. to get like a, and the last one got an Oscar. Good uh, night, everybody. But then you know DreamWorks would be like, so let's, uh, let's, let's make some more. Like, no, no, no. I'm going to end on a high, fuckers. Jeremy Clapping. It does end on a high. Jeremy Clapping for I Lost My Body. Uh, Sergio Pablos for Klaus, which we missed. I, apparently he's very good. Yeah, oh, it's uh, still on Netflix, though. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, hope, I hope that gets it just mm. for the future of Hand-drawn and yes. 3D animation working hand-in-hand. Hand. Uh, Chris Butler for Missing Link. <clears throat> Again, stop-motion, beautiful, but, um, you know, I like her have had their had their noms many times. Like They're not going anywhere. Every time they make a feature, it's going to get a nomination. And Josh Kuhler for Toy Story 4. Yeah. I don't think it's Oscar-worthy, but it I is good. I think it's Oscar-worthy, but, it, it, but as far as a visual story goes, yeah. I think yeah. it's the finest-looking Pixar film we've had. Maybe ever. Maybe. Maybe. I'm glad, as weird as it sounds, I'm glad Frozen 2 isn't nominated. It's not best. Because that feels it's obvious. It's not best animated featured material. And like, that's what I'm saying. It, feel, it feels like an obvious one that they, yeah, they'd put in yeah. there. Yeah. Well, it's definitely not. It's not that good. It's fine. It's a film. Um, it's a film. <clears throat> best director. Are you ready? I'm, I already know. Are you bracing yourself? That Jordan Peele ain't in there for us. Jordan Peele ain't in a there. A film that the Academy apparently didn't see suspiciously in the year where they seem to have gone backwards on black representation in cinema. Martin Scorsese for The Irishman. Fucking standard, not exciting nomination. Todd Phillips for Joker. Weird that, because he just ripped off two Martin Scorsese movies, so that's kind of uh, strange. That's why they like him. Sam Mendes for 1917. Sure, if it is if it achieves its one-shot thingy, then absolutely put him up there. Quentin Tarantino for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. <clears throat> Fuck off. And uh, Bong Joon-ho for Parasite. Fine. Why is Todd Phillips there and Greta Gerwig's not? Why isn't Ryan Johnson in there? For Knives Out, yeah. Why isn't... Yeah. Taika Waititi in there for Jojo Rabbit. I, I wouldn't put it up for Best Picture, but why aren't the Russos in there for juggling that fucking yeah, juggernaut? Yeah, that's certainly an achievement in directing. Yeah. Because um, technically it was two films as one production block with a three-month break in yeah. the middle. <clears throat> a three-month break that they didn't spend on vacation. Yeah. They spent apparently four weeks of it like taking downtime, and then the rest of it on pre-production for the next block. Well... Give them a fucking Oscar for making those two movies. Where's Greta Gerwig? Where's Taika Waititi? Where's Jordan Peele? 
Yeah. Where are the Russos? Where's Ryan Johnson? It's got to be some other female directors. Uh, Olivia Wilde for Booksmart. Yes. Fucking Booksmart. <laughs> Booksmart's not been in here at all. Did no, it was last Oscar season. I was gonna say like what? When did Eighth Grade come out? But that was last yeah. season. Yeah. Fucking... Just because I'd love for my boy Bo to get nominated. Bo. Oh my god. I could easily go. <clears throat> I could easily take all the white people out of that. Mm-hmm. And replace mm-hmm. them with better people. Some of them are even still white! Yeah. And men! Just to clarify for someone immediately is like, are you guys trying to white genocide us? Yes! <laughs> yes! And I say that as a white man. Please genocide me. Please. Please, everybody. I'm the fucking worst. Please, everybody, go and read the tweets of Lindsay Ellison. Uh, to this, her tweets about white genocide. Fucking hell. Um, but at least we've got one person of colour in there. Yay. Um, well done, Oscars. Supporting actress. Okay. I hope you like white bread. Um, <laughs> Kathy Bates for Richard Jewell. Not seen it, but Kathy Bates is great. Laura sure. Dern for Marriage Story. She's great. Deserved it for other roles in the last two years. Scarlett Johansson for Jojo Rabbit. Yeah, no, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Florence no. Pugh for Little Women. Yeah, again, I've not seen it, but Florence Pugh's great. And Margot... is, that, is that two Black Widows nominated in the same category? Yeah, and Margot Robbie for Bombshell. Good. Now, if Margot Robbie had been up for Once Upon a Time... Wait a minute, hang on. No, she's not a repeat nominee, is she? If she'd have been up for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, I would have said, fuck off. Fuck the fuck off. Tarantino gives her like four lines and basically just a load of shots of her smiling and a load of shots of her feet. And that's her contribution to that movie. But what a performance. But Bombshell, fair enough. Mm. We can't comment on the film yet because I haven't seen it. as of this recording, we've not seen it and it's only just hit the UK. Yeah. <coughs> Uh, Little Women's only just hit the UK. Marriage Stories on Netflix. Richard Jewell's not over here yet. I thought Roger Ailes was. I mean, Roger Ailes is as creepy as they get, but like John Lithgow, the makeup job that they've done on Bombshell, it's like, oh my god, he looks terrifying. Also, the subtle makeup jobs on Charlie's Theron and uh, Nicole Kidman. That's probably why it's nominated for Best Hair and Makeup. True. Um, Um, They love shit like that. Yeah, it's 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 the same sort of work as uh, but also let- as 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 what they did to more so Coogan in Stanley yeah, Ali. Yeah. Where you look at it and you're like, that's phenomenal. But once you realise their prosthetics, if you recognise their faces so much, you're like, oh god, that's really distracting me now. But not because they stick out, because they're so good that you can see that actor's face is different. Like I watched Looper twice before someone pointed out um, the whole thing of Bruce Willis refused. To wear prosthetics because they were going to go halfway house with him and Joseph Gordon-Levitt. Yeah. So Joseph Gordon-Levitt's wearing prosthetics. And I was like, I knew his face was off a bit, but oh god! And then every time I watched it since, I'm like, oh god, yeah, I can just see Bruce Willis prosthetics on his face. This yeah. is really distracting. I like it though. I like. Oh, it. it's oh, great! It's great work. Um, but it's 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 again, it's my dissect. It's my dissecting mind, like overtaking my just sit back and let it happen. I think you need to let your dissecting mind go on holiday. I know that's not how it works, but there so we go. Take more vaccinations. Um. <laughs> yeah, more take more vaccinations. <laughs> Uh, what haven't you been vaccinated against? What have you been vaccinated against? Just double up. <laughs> it's not going to have any ill effect. You're only vaccinated. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Just double your autism. <laughs> <laughs> From atism to beatism. Listen. 
Vaccinations don't cause autism. No, no. Vaccinate your children, you fucking idiots. Yes. There we go. If you actually listen to Jenny McCarthy, you're using the wrong body I, parts. I can't imagine we have any listeners who are anti-vaxxers. One, because I can't imagine we have any listeners who are old enough to have children. <laughs> and two, we've only got about 20 listeners anyway. Um, <laughs> 19 of them are in, are in Australia. Yeah, so... Bye, guys. <laughs> stay safe, guys. Just stay out. Uh, annotations that Jenny McCarthy yeah. rhyme is from an episode of Some Joke with a Camera and it's worth watching that series. Yes. Uh, it's not us. Um, <laughs> best Supporting Actor. Okay. Five nominations. Okay. Four films. Uh, Let me guess, two of them are The Irishman. Yes. Fucking hell. Go on. Tom Hanks for A Beautiful Day in the Neighbourhood. Now, when I first read that, I was like, Supporting actor, but Matthew I, I realise we've not seen it. Matthew Reese is the lead, is the lead and, yeah. and yeah. Um, <clears throat> Anthony Hopkins for the two popes, sure. Uh, Al Pacino for the Irishman, Joe Pesci for the Irishman, and Brad Pitt for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I think they're all, yeah, they're all as far as the noms go, they're all pretty good nominations in terms of the work done and everything, sure. Yeah. It would be weird for the Irishman considering how much people have been sucking it off, it would be weird. If De Niro had been nominated for actor and only one of Pacino or Pesci had been nominated for supporting. I would have liked to But see at the same time, that's robbing another supporting performance in another movie yeah. from having a chance. I would have liked to see Sam Rockwell for Jojo Rabbit. Yeah. I would have liked to see Winston Duke <clears throat> for Us. Us, yes. Um, Fucking yes. God damn it, yes. Yeah. Oh, that's really irritating. See, now it's even more irritating. Oh my god, yes. Josh Brolin. For fucking, um, fucking Endgame. Not Endgame. No, Infinity War would have been a better nom. Because that's, again, a supporting yeah. actor performance yeah, yeah. through technology yeah. <laughs> that comes across and is absolutely sensational. Just, yeah. oh, God. I know, obviously, we deal a lot in genre film, but it's just... Mark Strong and Shazam, not worthy of it per se, but another like example of a supporting role. Shit, yeah. That wouldn't have been looked. Where's Shazam in any of these visual Where's Shazam? And... I watched that again. We showed it to Hassan this it's... weekend. What do you think? He loved it. It's so good. It's isn't so it? good. How... So like he's he's the demographic. He's the he is the demographic. demographic. He's 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 seven. Did he lose his fucking shit in the third act? Yeah, he did. <laughs> God, it's so good. Yeah, it's so good. It is. Oh, it is. God. It's so good. Um, it's so so cool. <laughs> Mike Flanagan should be in director for Doctor Sleep. Doctor yes. Sleep should be under the best adapted screenplay. It should. Um, it fucking should. Oh my god. Ah. Rebecca Ferguson should be up for best supporting actress. Yes. For oh god. Um, See, again, you remind me of so come out this year. It's like, yep. Where's that? Where the fuck is that? Where the fuck um, is that? Lead actress. <clears throat> Lead actress. Peter Nyong'o for us, right? Nope. Cynthia Rerov over Harriet. <sighs> sure. That's your one person of colour in all 20 no. of the acting nominations. Um, Scarlett Johansson for Marriage Story. Trisha Ronan for Little Women. Right, hang on, hang on, hang on. Scarlett Johansson? Yeah. Who's also nominated for Best Supporting Actor? Yeah, for Jojo Rabbit. Cool. I mean, sure well deserved in both cases, but... The same actor recurring twice in two of the four, let's face it, main categories as far so, okay, as... okay, in one of them she's playing an Asian woman. And a tree. <laughs> um, 
It's just, oh, it just seems a bit, hell. it seems odd to me that it's the same as yeah. two Irishmen supporting actor nominations being in the supporting actor category. It, it's robbing someone else of a Oh, nomination. well, no, because there isn't an Irishman nomination in the best leading actor category. Isn't there? No. De Niro's not up for it. No. That is weird. Um, <clears throat> Charlie's thrown for Bombshell. Sure. She's Megan Kelly, um, isn't she? Yes, and who, who has come out since and said, "I don't appreciate the film's depiction of Fox." And it's like, what? Wait, what? They're telling the story of how your boss sexually abused and manipulated people, yourself included, for decades. It's not about how your fucking newsroom are represented. It's the truth. You know that thing your network is scared of. Anyway, Renee so. Zellweger for Judy. Sure. Because you don't play oh, Judy Garland and oh, not get nominated for an oh, Oscar. that came out before August. Did it? We found the earliest film. Yes, that came out before August. It was around shortly after Easter time because the director I worked with at Easter on a, a theatre thing was like going to see it a few weeks later I'm and couldn't sure wait. I'm sure it was post-August. Might have been. Maybe it was the trailer around that period. Yeah. I'm, I'm going to very quickly look I it up. I think it was like September time. But that one feels deserved because I remember her performance getting massive plaudits when it came out. Yeah, Keith's seen it. Apparently it's very, 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 very good. So, um, you know, that's at least different. Oh, no, you're right. Oh, UK release date was October. So it must have been the trailer was coming out. Yeah. Um, um, was it earlier in the States? Lead actor. <laughs> September in the States. Lead actor. Okay, hit me with some surprising revelations that will blow my socks off and make me go, wow, I never thought of that. Antonio Banderas for Pain and Glory. From what I've heard, yes. Also, a side note, people keep saying that he's... A non-white nomination? A non-white nomination. He's not, he's white, he's Spanish. Spanish white. Self-identified Spanish white. Yep. Yep. Um, as most people in Spain are. As most people in fucking Europe are. Native Europeans tend to be white. Um, Leonardo DiCaprio for Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Adam Driver for Marriage Story. Joaquin Phoenix for Joker. And Jonathan Price for The Two Popes. Get to Jonathan Price because that would be that would at least be interesting if Jonathan Price got it. Like that would make me really, really happy. Do you know what I mean? Give it to Adam Driver because it's only a matter of time. If he keeps going the way he's going, it's only a matter of time. And yeah, but is Jonathan Price going to be in another thing where he gets to shine? Probably not. <clears throat> Whereas Adam Driver's going to have plenty of choice, plenty of chances. Adam, the only one to not be cursed by Star Wars Driver. Because he's done so many fucking other things during this time. Oh, yeah, yeah. And has absolutely come out of it as the one everyone's like, you know, he was the best in it. He was the best in it. He's the best out of it. Yes. Good on him. Whereas John Boyega's come out of it with a... John, John Boyega's a tough one. I've heard horror stories about people who work with him recently. Yeah. But at the same time, I admire the fact that he's clearly frustrated about the way the story of Rise of Skywalker went. Yeah. And he's just very visibly making that known to the world now that yeah. he has no contractual obligations to Disney and Lucasfilm anymore. Same with Oscar Isaac. Like Oscar Isaac's <laughs> career is almost... Oscar Isaac's career is almost paused a little whilst he's been doing the trilogy do you know what I mean like he's still been doing stuff but it's sort of the rise he was on has kind of paused a bit and now hopefully he'll go back to his trajectory seems like Daisy Ridley's not been allowed to do much did you see the press junket interview with Oscar Isaac where they're like so would you do a uh, Disney Plus series and he goes nope nope yeah (laughs) 
like that's yeah. fucking great. And they said, well, what if they what if they pulled like a like a dump truck full of money up to you and no, 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 I'm good. I'm good. <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So it was interesting. I'm I, I'm not intending to purchase the Rise of Skywalker at any point, nor am I intending to really buy anything from it. But I continued my tradition of buying the Ray from each film from the Black series. Oh yeah. And I was like, go on, it's the last one. Let's buy Ray, unless of course they end up bringing out a freaking dark side. They're gonna, they're gonna Ray. I'm sure. I'm sure I've seen this. But I was like, oh, I'll buy it. Uh, it's a very well sculpted figure. It comes with a Do that doesn't stand up, even though it comes with a little plastic sort of nugget to help it stand up. It doesn't stand the fuck up. It's really no, pointless. thank you. It's also you. the wrong scale. Um, <laughs> but once again, they've done a different face sculpt. This is face scan, like they've been doing for the Marvel Legends. Oh yeah, and it looks like Emma Watson. What? It looks like Emma Watson. What? Like, it's Daisy Ridley in profile, but when you look at it head on, it looks like Emma Watson. So I now have four rays that all look completely fucking different. Sorry. Are you saying that there's a whole cadre of white upper middle class actresses that all look the same? I'm just saying, look at... Because that would be shocking! Look at all three significant female lead characters from all the Disney era Star Wars movies so far. And tell me that on surface level, not to obviously talk about their individual abilities, personalities, or whatever, because they're all brilliant and wonderful and great, fantastic, and other things we've seen. But Disney haven't just basically gone. So our protagonist is a five foot two. Someone in the casting department has a brunette female. Is what I'm saying. Yeah. 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 Oh, but no, it's different this time because in some of the scenes, Amelia Clark's going to have a purple wig. You see, Jessica Henrik has been talking recently about how she was up for Ray. Really? She was in auditions for six months. Fucking that hell. That was how long it went on like went on for. But she was in the running for it. She's been oh talking my god. About recently. Six months of like constant recalls. Yeah. Oh god. That's interesting. Because a lot of Star Wars was it was open casting calls. Yeah. I know obviously this they did auditions and went through agencies and this, that and the other, but like for a lot of parts in it, they did they did open casting. I don't know if they ever confirmed who got the parts from open casting. Um but like at the same time, they were obviously willing to be like, let's try and find some new people. I think they were for Finn and Ray. I think they were doing that, and yeah. then going to John Boyega, who had done a couple of movies but nothing huge. Yeah, and Daisy Ridley, who had done a bit of TV and not really anything else. Yeah, I don't think she'd been in a film. <clears throat> I mean, literally about three months before the Force Awakens comes out is that episode of Total yeah. London. Yeah, what Derek Sibling, the actor? <laughs> No, I'm not doing it. Finest Henry the fifth. This cat seven. Best picture nominations. <laughs> I'm just doing it in my head. And one it's day he's caught shitting his pants in a laxative commercial, and it doesn't work in audio. Good night, sweetheart. Um, <laughs> fucking hell. <laughs> Best picture. <sighs> Ford v Ferrari. Sure. The Irishman. Fucking predictable. Jojo Rabbit. Good. I want it to win. I haven't seen it, but the thought of a Taika Waititi surrealist imagination-led movie featuring Hitler as an imaginary buddy friend. Don't see it this weekend, boy. It better win just because that would actually be a shake to the system. Um, that, that is the only one of these nominated... Well, actually, no, Parasite's up as well, isn't Parasite's it? Up. Parasite or Jojo Rabbit would actually be a shake to the system if they I think were the so. winner. And I want one of those two to come out on top. But you know it fucking isn't because this piece of shit is also nominated. Oh, Joker? Yes. Little Women? Good. Apparently good enough to get nominated for, for the best sake of Gre- best adapted screenplay, but not best director. For the sake of Greta Gerwig, I hope it wins. 
But it's also, like The Irishman, a very obvious, predictable nomination for Best Picture. But it's a female director, which is important. Yes. So out of the two of them, if you put it up against The Irishman... Little women absolutely I'm trying to break the fucking stranglehold <clears throat> old fucking white dudes have on Hollywood. But little women, I'd rather Parasite or Jojo get it just because that would be, as far as best picture is concerned, something really fucking different. And also at least they're directed by people who aren't white. Yes. Yes. So that's something. Yeah. Um What else we got? <laughs> oh Jesus. Marriage story. Really? Oscar worthy? For best picture? It's a relationship a film drama. That, a film that is mostly known to the world at large as a meme because that scene on its own was isolated and put up as a clip on Twitter and spread around and it's, in isolation, a really kind of awkward scene. It's a relationship drama about... Divorce. A divorce. And it has two very good actors in it doing a lot of acting. So, yeah. It's right up fucking Oscar Street. Um... Doing my best acting. 1917. Will Wonder Ram, what you do? Uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. No. It's a film about Hollywood. If they give it to him, will he fuck off? No, because he said he's going to do ten films. Yeah, so he's got one more, hasn't he? He's got one more in his tank. Yeah, because... Uh, what, what, fuck, what are they? The ones that he counts. Pulp Fiction. Oh, Re- no, Reservoir Dogs, Dogs, Pulp, Pulp Fiction, Fiction, Jackie, Jackie Brown... Brown. Kill Bill. Kill Bill as a whole film. As a, as, a, as a whole film. He made that clear about ten years ago. Um, Django Unchained. Hang on, there's one more in there. Inglorious Bastards. Django oh, Inglorious Bastards, Django Unchained. Uh, the Hateful Eight. The Hateful Eight. Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Hollywood. And Death Proof, but does he count Death Proof? I think he does count Death Proof. Okay, so that's nine. So there's with one more. And also a Star Trek movie, which he's saying doesn't count as part of his ten. He's not going to make that Star Trek movie. <clears throat> he'll end up, he'll end up executive producing whatever that film ends up being. He's not I guarantee. It's not going to end up happening in any way, shape, or form. It will. It will I be. It will be. It. it will be a CBS All Access limited series that is aimed squarely at a more adult audience, and he will be executive producer on it. That's where it'll end up. Oh, and Parasite! Yay! Yay! <clears throat> Parasite's not come out over here, has it? Not yet. No. But it's, again, it's, it's out, just man. that thing of this would be a shake to the system and would be different. My my it's <clears> really good. My hopefuls my hopefuls for best picture winner are Parasite and Jojo Rabbit. I would also be happy with Little Women considering Greta's snub for director. Well yeah, I'm still my, a bit my, pissed off at for coming out in for refusing <clears> to condemn Woody Harrelson, but Yeah. Well, but fuck it's not stop Scarlett Johansson uh, well, being yeah. successful I guess she still I guess she could walk that back I mean but, George, Scarlett Johansson is one of them she's a great actress but she keeps opening her fucking mouth yeah but my predictions are Irishman or Joker will get it oh god can you imagine if Joker gets best picture incels around the world we live again, in the again, worst possible again, universe if you, Christopher if you love the movie I'm not taking that away from you, and I wish I loved it like you did. Yeah, Charlie quite liked it. But there are also people who liked that movie who are a very toxic element just, of film fandom. I just don't get it. It's one of it's one of those things. Who almost where want it to win just a lot to of the stick time to the man. A lot of the time, I can see what people see in something because <clears throat> don't forget, there's a lot of stuff that I really like that isn't very good. Yeah, oh god. And I'm yeah. quite happy to go, yeah, this is a bit shit. Taste is but subjective. I really like it. Taste is subjective, but when it comes to like massive awards that give it acclaim and accolades, I just that don't are understand to decades, what people saw in you Joker. Need, you need to go on a technical level and kind of a consensus, really. Because not not only is it like at best competently made, it's just not very interesting. No. 
What is it people love about it? I don't. It, it would be a better movie if it took out the four elements that make it a Batman film. Like, he's not called Joker. Don't set it in Gotham. Don't have Thomas Wayne. And we don't visit Arkham. And suddenly, it's a much better movie already. And yet, because, fucking... it's, because it's a throwback to the Scorsese flicks of the 70s. It's a movie that's called Joker. And it's got the sort of Joker iconography plastered all over it. And fucking Todd Phillips has the audacity mm. to come out and say that its success wasn't down to its Batman connection. Yes, it was. Fuck you, Todd Phillips. It's You're a not film. as smart as it's, you think you are. It's a film using the visuals and the name of the most popular villain in all of fiction. If you're looking at it that way. Like, this is a villain who's been uh, around for nearly 90 years and people still enjoy stories with this bad guy. Like... It, of course, that's what sold tickets, Todd, you fucking twat. I, I can't get my head around it, man. Well, what do you guys think? Do you think we're being... Um, hyperbolic? Hyperbolic. Do you think we're justified? Do you agree with us? Do you disagree with us? Let's keep it fun and friendly. Let us know. Bigdamncontact at gmail.com. We'll have a look at your emails next week. Uh, you can also catch us on Twitter at Big Damn Cast. And if you want to support the show, join us on Discord even to spread Doctor Who poop memes and talk shit about movies and have a good old gay old time like the Flintstones. Please, Ian needs some company, poor guy. Then head to he's 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 the he's the Discord MVP. He's the he's Hats the lifeblood of that Discord. Head to patreoncom cast and donate as little as one dollar a month. One dollar a month. That's UK money is not even a quid. Donate that and you can be on the Discord. Donate a little bit more and you can get videos early and perks and all sorts of stuff. Um, We'd love to have you over there. It'd be a good old treat. And also spread the word about the show. If you like Big Damn Cast and you want other people to hear two British nerds slag stuff off and suck the dick of other things and have a gay old time, like the Flintstones, Uh. then tell them. You can tell everybody about us on Twitter at Big Damn Cast. You can spread our videos around. We really, really appreciate it. The more the fan base grows, the more opportunities we have to make more stuff for you guys. The more the fan base grows, the more chance I don't have to get another shit job. Or do what I do and mostly just spend your day like trolling through Spotify, uh, uh, Spotlight emails and uh, StarNow emails and Mandy emails going, Mate. Why are they asking me to Spotlight, go for an mate. audition for a four-year-old Vietnamese girl? Fucking Spotlight, mate. I love the fact that it now has the audacity to say. The, uh, we, the thing is that a pick that match your um, criteria. criteria. It's like, they don't They don't know. know. But I'll gladly give you £157 a year, you twats. It's a fucking racket, isn't it? It's ridiculous. It's a fucking racket. It's rid- I wouldn't care if... How it, many other if industries? People, if people actually use the filters properly... Yeah. And I only received, like, three emails a week, I would be fine with that, because at least I wouldn't be surfing through spam. How many other industries do you have to... <clears throat> not even pay to apply for jobs, but pay to see the job postings? Yeah. Fucking, yeah. With, with what? The money that you're earning from these jobs you can't fucking see? It's a racket! Patreon.com slash BigDamnCast. Help us make shit so that we can make it for you instead of having to look for other people to help us make stuff. Because fuck me, I don't want to play a four-year-old Vietnamese girl. Not as much as Scarlett Johansson does, anyway. She, you know, she's probably down. That's probably why the job went down very quickly. <laughs> oh, God. Anyway, Scar- we're off. Those agents got her in. We're off to have a gay old time. Like the Flintstones. Yeah. Tatty bye. Wilma! Get out of the room! Me and Barney are gonna rule.
called it. Rubble. Fuck a duck. They did that too. 